quick plug real quick if you guys are good with that. Yeah. yeah. There's, yeah. um, you know, anytime I get stressed out, there's this place I love to go. It's called Club Albi. A-L-B-E-E. Um, A- can, wait, was that A-L-B-E? Okay. Yeah, A-L-B-E-E, Club Albi. Um, join us on Facebook, clubalbi.com, or facebook.com forward slash clubalbi. Um, forward never, slash groups. Never been there before, personally, um, but I've heard about it on the radio, so I figured. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Club Albi, okay. Yeah. Club Albi, yeah. A-L-B-E-E. Oh, nice. <laughs> See, that rings, this rings deeply for me back to early days where <clears throat> it's 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> I'm on uh, the bus on the way to school mm-hmm. to, at Seaworth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's an hour-long bus ride. And I'm just listening to the radio and just hearing all of these wonderful ads about Club Albi. <laughs> and I'm like, is this... Is this why I'm going to school? Is this is this what's desirable? Is this what adults do? Yeah, just an open-minded young boy, and I guess that's what Oklahoma adults do. They yeah. got Club Albi, bro. <laughs> yeah, Club Albi. <laughs> well, not anymore. All the Club oh, Albi yeah, goers—they've had a bad run his last eighteen months. Yeah. Rest in peace. <laughs> Good. Thank God for TikTok. Where else would you dance yeah. these days? <laughs> that's true, dude. That's I've been getting it. Point. Dude, I was just telling him like. An hour ago, I've been, I've not TikTok dances, but I've have a new appreciation for dancers. It's, it's become this new thing where I found it on Instagram and I'm like, that's kind of sick. And so yeah. I follow a few people and I'm like, mm-hmm. I never thought I would be my age and looking at people dancing, but I'm like, this yeah. is cool. I appreciate this. Well, you really appreciate it when you try it. Cause then you're like, yeah. I have no yeah. rhythm in my body. Mm-hmm. Like I can't do any of this. So it becomes a lot more impressive. You, yeah. get, you get a new perspective <laughs> for sure. Yes. Yeah. Agree. I don't know. I'm, I'm a pretty good dancer, but <laughs> I'm also, I fit the profile of that person who like thinks they're a good dancer. Oh yeah. Yeah. And everyone likes to laugh at them, but mm. like they're not actually good. I'm sure, you and, could but tear people it are up. like, "No, keep on dancing. We like when you dance." <laughs> yeah, like at a wedding or something. Well, you know yeah. who who judges what's good? What's good is what people enjoy, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. That's true. It depends on your crowd. And mm-hmm. if people keep asking you to dance, that means you're a good dancer. Yeah, yeah. can't let them down. <laughs> That's what and, I always say. <laughs> and see, depending on depending on where you are, like maybe just throwing elbows. Maybe that's what people will admire and, and like. Uh, and and I can I can do both extremes. You know? Yeah, get anything, you a man that can do both. Yeah, anything becomes go. a mosh pit when you start throwing bows. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, that's yeah. true. Um. So, Caleb, I uh, I wanted to ask you about. Obviously, you're near the end of medical school. Mm-hmm. If that is obvious, it is to me. But uh, which how long? How long have you been? Th- that's in, actually in what, that's is what that I want to ask been, about. Is like because yeah. the, the pathway from like you thinking maybe I want to become a doctor, yeah, to like actually getting in medical school. Medical school, like that's such. That's probably the the stretch of time that most people get knocked out of the race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or get, yeah, give up or something. Yeah. 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 So like, how'd you make it through? And like, I don't know. No, that's a, that's like, honestly, that's an excellent question. I think it just comes down to like what your level of determination is because I've always thought like anybody could do it. And that's true. Like that really is true. There are some people who have like legit, like legitimate learning disorders. And in those cases, you know, maybe not. Um, but like, I knew I wanted to do medicine ever since I was like a kid, you know, my dad, Really, he just busted his ass his entire life, you know, working and 
hurting his back. And he would, you know, he always told us like, you know, my worst nightmare is that like I wake up and come to work one day and you guys are there, like mm. us being his children. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. When did he tell you that? He told me that when I was probably like 12. Right? I feel but, like I remember you telling me that. Before. Yeah, that's that's. And what, what, what did your dad do? So he works, he works at a company called Associated Wholesale Grocers. He works basically just in like a a grocery warehouse that like ships out to like Crest and Walmart and stuff like that. But I mean, he's, it's, it's hard labor. I mean, Mm -hmm. you, you get to work the forklift if you're lucky. Right. Right, right. Um, But otherwise you're, you're lifting and you're Mm -hmm. putting, you know, pallets of groceries onto Mm -hmm. trucks that are going out to grocery stores and, um, warehouse work seems like you could, uh gain some muscle from it but you really mm-hmm. just gain back problems yeah like i mean there's a reason working at one for only like five or six years not, yeah not that long considering some of the people who do work in warehouses right, like, right you know. for sure and i mean there's a reason why like you see a lot of warehouse workers wearing back braces like mm-hmm. it's hard it's hard yeah. work and like i have so much respect for people who do that for a living like they're stronger than i'll ever be um but my dad just told me that and and i kind of had like a natural talent for school i don't know mm-hmm. numbers made sense to me i loved science uh and so like i had a few people who just told me like you know you could do something real with with your life you know you could you could be a lawyer you could be a doctor you could be an engineer you could you know whatever you want to do and mm-hmm. uh, you know i'd never been told that before and so it kind of made me stop and think like you know what do i want to do and so i was always interested in like human anatomy as a kid and so I was like, well, I want to know how the body works. And then, um, like my oldest brother, Chris, he, uh, had spina bifida and like he was in and out of the hospital with surgeries like all the time. Mm-hmm. And so we would go visit him in the hospital and like just seeing, uh, you know, the doctors there who were taking care of him. Like I just felt this like huge sense of respect that like your family member sitting in a bed, you know, and a lot of the times it can be life or death and like the person who's in charge of their health and like makes these critical Mm -hmm. life or death decisions is the physician. And so I was like, well, I want to do that. And so like, I always knew through high school, that's what I was going to do, but I had the extra challenge of (laughs) being homeschooled. Right. Mm. I mean, it's really hard to to have connections. I had no advisors in high school. It's just my mom. It's crazy. The amount of, the amount of homeschool guests we're going to have. Oh, this, this we will have so crazy. many more. I'm yeah. sure too. This has come up so many times. But I think it's great because and I like, think I, I didn't give, even think about it until yeah. now. But. I, well, and I, I didn't even think. I, I forget who played on the football team too. Like yeah. I even forgot Landon played. And I shouldn't have. Like it's just you kind of forget. His dad was the coach. Yeah, yeah, that too. Like his dad was the coach. Like for like three or four years I had to talk to Coach Sykes. Yeah. Like, you know, like, um, but yeah, I, I think it's cool because I think we we have a cool group of friends that all share this like very strange way of not strange but different way of being brought up. And it's such a homeschool. spectrum too. Like yeah, one yeah. person's homeschooling experience can be oh, yeah. completely opposite from others. You see one side of the spectrum where people just like have no social skills, are afraid to interact with mm-hmm. any of their peers, think that public schoolers are heathens and that they're going to go to hell for talking to them. And, right. and then you get people who are more like socially adjusted and um, people who can kind of incorporate into society without making a fool of themselves all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, or being petrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then of course there's everything in between, but mm-hmm. But yeah, so being homeschooled definitely was a was a bit of a challenge for me. Uh, no one in my family really went to college, and so like I just had this dream, and I just told myself that like not getting it wasn't an option. It was a matter of time. Like that's mm-hmm. the way I saw it. It wasn't like if this doesn't work out, then I'll do this. 
it was a determination that was like unwavering. Like I just knew it was going to happen eventually. It was just, how am I going to make it happen? Mm-hmm. And so like I went to a Votech in high school, Francis Tuttle, and that was like for people who wanted to be pre-med in college and knew it already. It like taught us like study skills and a lot of advanced placement classes and stuff like that to just kind of prepare us for the rigors of college. Uh, and then when I got into college, you know, and it's, it's wild. Cause then when I started that, that program, you know, there were like 25 kids in like the freshman class. Mm. But by the time we graduated, the program had wet, uh, weeded it out to like five graduating students. Whoa. Yeah. And even, th- and that's just high school, you know, college, yeah. you go to college, I swear to God, half of people in college are pre-med, right? Like they have on their Instagram, mm. like it's, it's kind of a meme in like, in like the medical school culture, like pre-meds in college will put like on their Instagram profile, like future pediatric mm. cardiothoracic neurosurgeon, you know? And mm. then it's like, yeah, if they even get into medical school, then they just end up, you know, probably not doing that because mm-hmm. it's uh, altogether not a real field. But, um, I've matched with a few people on Tinder that have that in their bio. That's Hell funny yeah, that you mentioned that. Oh, that's a bad sign. That's a sign that, uh, that's a sign of a rational optimism. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like you can have the brightest minds, but if you, if you aren't the type of person who can mesh well with people and you don't have like emotional intelligence, you're not going to get into medical school. Hmm. Like it's, you can be the best test taker in the world and no one's going to take you if you don't know how to talk to people. That's kind of a new um, movement they've gone through, like in medicine and in medical school They're they're trying to look at applicants. It's hard not to look at applicants as a number, right? Cause there's mm. thousands of them. Right. Uh, it's hard to not just assign them a number to judge them by. So they're trying to do more like character traits and stuff like that. And interviews are having more are being more heavily weighted on admission and stuff. Um, but yeah, so all through college, you know, I had tons of friends that were like pre-med with me and, and as each year, each semester went by, you know, you'd ask them like, Hey man, how are you doing? Or how are things going? And oh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do pre-med anymore. So a lot of people drop out. Like it's, it's just really, you know, freshman year weeds out probably like half of them. The sophomore, probably half of those junior, half of those senior. I mean, it's just like an exponential step down. It's each semester. <laughs> it's like when you're, it's like, you know, you see like, I don't know if you remember that episode of SpongeBob where SpongeBob and Patrick are running from Sandy mm-hmm. and you're just like, you're both running away so fast and then you just look over and like he gets lassoed and just like disappears. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what you're, you and all your friends are just like on this run race <laughs> to medical school. Like you're just trying to get there and you just look left and right and people are just being picked off left and right. And <laughs> you know, so it's, it really is crazy. And then even then, if you finish college pre-med, you know, you got to apply. I had to apply twice. So it's, you know, Dang. yeah, it's hard. It's hard to do. But again, when I didn't get in the first time, it wasn't a matter of if it was a matter of when. Mm. Right. So I mm. found a job did whatever I could to better my application and um, whether it was volunteering hours, whether it was getting letters of recommendations from physicians, anything I could do. And I think that's really ultimately what it takes. I mean, it's just, it's so hard. There's just like all this stuff you're mentioning. There's so many soft skills in there and like reaching out, trying to network people. Yeah. But really the root of all of it is like being super intentional. They're like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm staking everything on it. And, I'm putting it on myself to figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like this, this is really echoing a lot of things like from, from my journey, just mm-hmm. going from like, Oh, I'm trying to be a self-taught programmer. Like you start there and there's just a market of a hundred million people. Yeah. And then along the way, there's just bodies 
<laughs> like all around. <laughs> yeah. And like so very few people make it through. And then when you make it through and like you get your first offer, you just look back and you're like, oh my God, I just made it through a minefield. Mm-hmm. I, like how, it, it, and, and you feel no credit. Yeah. Uh, or well, like credit for like your hard work, but it's, you're all also like, I kind of got lucky. Yeah. Uh, almost not to say, not to say that's you. You definitely busted your ass, but it's just, it's such a crazy hard race to run and they almost incentivize you to not do it. Yeah, no, that's, that's because you true. lose money and you lose time trying yeah. to do this. And there's a small probability. You yeah. make it. That's, that's why they have something that they, they literally teach you in orientation to medical school called imposter syndrome because mm-hmm. you had to work so hard to be there. Some people barely got in. I barely got in. Right. So you think like you look around you and, and of course a lot of people have like this self doubting where it's like you see other people and you're like, wow, they're in medical school. They must be, they probably got in no problem and they're probably way smarter than me. But literally every person sitting there, except for a few cocky bastards that are like, of course I got in, (laughs) you know, whatever. There's some of those, but the vast majority of people Uh don't feel like they belong. Like Mm -hmm. you feel like, Mm -hmm. uh, like, okay, I'm in medical school. If I finish this, like I'm going to be a doctor and Mm -hmm. there's no, like, that's weird. You're like, I shouldn't be a doctor. I'm just a normal person. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you're like, I'm not smart enough to do this. Mm -hmm. And it's so, it's like so ubiquitous throughout that field Mm -hmm. that they literally are like, no, like you may feel this way, but like you're here for a reason. Like you worked hard. It's hard to do, but like you've done it. And Mm -hmm. so everyone else above you who is, you know, in the field had to do exactly what you did and feels exactly the same way you feel. But I also feel like, back to what you were saying, like moving through like the minefield of like with programming. Like I feel like you went through a far, like, like you trailblazed, right? Like you went through a path that like not a lot of people go through. For mm-hmm. me, it was like, yeah. okay, go to, go to high school, right? Do my best to try and get into a good college. Well, there's only one path for, for like becoming a doctor. You have right. to, you have to tread the long path. And like, exactly. this is what we were talking about with Landon, like, the same thing with what he's doing counseling. There's basically only one path, but it's like me, I just have to get, it, it's almost, it, it's crazy. I just have to get people to think mm-hmm. I'm the per- perfect hire. Yeah. It's like, I have to make myself become or look like exactly what would be the perfect hire for a junior software engineering role. Mm-hmm. And that's like a much different proposition. Yeah. You have to learn skills, but kind of inherent in that is I'm going to have to sell myself. I'm going to have to network. I'm going to have to, work on all these things, but becoming a doctor, you kind of just think like, okay, I'm going to learn my craft and like learn the anatomy. And, and, but actually becoming a doctor is also that it's, it's long and there's the soft skills and the networking Mm -hmm. and the senior doctors or whatever have to like you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's a way like, yeah, maybe I trail base blaze through, but it's a way different. I couldn't have ran the mayor. I I mean, if I really cared about it, like you do. Yeah. So that's the only way to run the marathon. Yeah. Like you could have though. Like that's my point. Like it's it's a well-beaten path, right? It, everyone goes down it. You got to make sure that you check the boxes, right? But and and what yeah. makes the difference between who gets there and who doesn't is mm-hmm. who decides it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Like it is really hard and mm-hmm. I even have classmates like I'm not going to name them, but like have said like, you know, if I had to go back, I don't think I'd do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I had to go back and reapply, I would you know do PA or do nursing or go into research or something you know they were like honestly because it is hard and it's it's like it's taxing Mm -hmm. but it just boils down to like 
are you determined enough to do it? Are you willing to put in the work to, to learn all these random facts you have to know for these random tests and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would argue that like what you've gone through is scarier. Cause for me, it's like, I see the path before me and I just got to do it. But like what you went through, it's awesome. Like, it's like, you're finding your way like on a, in a trail that n- not many people have done. And it's a very unique to you trail. Cutting through with a yeah. machete. Yeah, you're the you're dude like. walking through, <laughs> hacking stuff down with a machete, and I'm walking on a paved road. You know what I mean? It's like, it's cool. They're different They're different journeys, which each have their own different challenges, but mm-hmm. I'll never, I'm never going to make it sound like people who go into medicine are like better than anybody else or smarter yeah. than anybody else, mm-hmm. because if you guys had the exact same schooling that I had, you'd know exactly what I know. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing special about me it's except that I tried. Who's willing to, who's yeah, willing yeah. To who's actually willing? do it and be it? Yeah, you know? who's willing? Yeah. You, just, you just can't be willing to give up because there's a lot of discouragement and a lot of small losses that can build up and eventually you yeah. quit. And that's when mm. people are like, oh, yeah, I was pre-med, but I'm not anymore. They mm-hmm. chose not to be. Right. No one told them they couldn't be. Right. You know, so that's Man. really what it boils down to. I wish touring music- musicians had a lesson on uh, imposter syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I was, uh, the, something you said that resonated with me so much is, yeah, people that are all doing the same thing and they all kind of, maybe they took different paths to become a touring musician, but you all are just people playing music at the end of the day. And everyone started playing for like two people. Yeah. You know, like. Absolutely. Everyone has done that. There's very few that skyrocket straight to the right. top. But like. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that really resonated. With well, me. and it's crazy. That. In first week of Lambda school, they introduce us to imposter syndrome, and Good. they start talking about it mm-hmm. from from the bat. <clears throat> and yeah, like that, it, it's so important to recognize everyone who is in the position felt like how you did. So mm-hmm. how you're feeling yeah. is actually part of the process. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's actually a a filter. Like what helps me think about, especially like learning how to code. What, what was a weird motivator and maybe it's kind of icky and kind of a guy thing, like a competitive type of thing. But I would think of like each hard next thing I had to learn is like a filter. Like everyone's trying to run to the top of the hill and there's like barricades in the way. And like each, when you learn this language or when you learn how to do this certain operation or whatever, like, and it's so hard, I would just think like, okay, but this this is the hurdle that's going to make like whatever 20% of the people quit. Like, am I going to be one of those 20% or like how much more am I setting myself apart Mm -hmm. each time? And, uh, and, and and knowing that imposter syndrome is kind of part of it because you kind of are an imposter. Yeah. Like that's what they just don't tell you like, Hey, this is what you have to be in order to become this. You have to be an imposter that also learns the stuff and, and keeps on and keeps on doing it. Like that's the path. Yeah, and so, God, I could probably talk about just that whole domain for for hours. But for real though, like I imposter probably, syndrome is not just yeah. for musicians and medical students and you know like software engineers. Like <clears throat> I feel like to an extent, like anyone who's starting something new, mm-hmm. uh, who has like little experience in it, is going to feel some some sort of like not belonging. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a lot of people probably anyone who could hear this, who could find a way that imposter syndrome, you know, relates to them. And it goes, goes anywhere. I mean, anyone Mm -hmm. can feel it for any reason, but it's important to recognize that it is just like, it's a feeling and it's not a reality. Yeah. That is, that is the most important part of it. I think, yeah. Recognizing that it's not reality. It's not, it's just temporary. 
Yeah. You just got to push through it. And if you're feeling it, congratulations, because yeah. that means that you're doing something that's yeah. kind of scary and something that some, some place you thought you would never be or someplace you never thought you deserved to be, but you're there mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you do deserve it. You know, mm-hmm. another thing that Lambda gave us like a mental model is like, they, f- they would frame it exactly what you're talking about. That discomfort. They would say, there's the comfort zone, which is not the learning zone. Yep. The mm-hmm. discomfort zone, which is the learning zone. You want to spend some time here every day. Mm-hmm. And then the panic zone, which is red, <laughs> which is like, that's yeah. too much. Get yeah. help. Yeah. Take a step back at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. they're like, go into the go into the discomfort zone and go back down. Go yep. in and go back down. Like almost like a, a, a graph. And you venture into it. And that way you frame your discomfort. It's like, okay, I'm in it. Mm-hmm. This is hard. Like my, I'm aware I'm in almost in pain Mm -hmm. because my mind is focused and I'm aware that like these details are hard or they're intimidating or whatever, but that's also the, the process that makes you remember it. It's like branding it into your memory. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's weird. It's not, I wish people, I wish adults would have told me this kind of stuff. Yeah. Told me the kind of dynamics that like, (laughs) it seems that every easy choice has a bad outcome. Yeah. And it seems that a lot of things that are difficult to do actually are what have good outcomes. Like mm-hmm. no one kind of explained that to me like pretty simply. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you, you, I guess you have to figure it out for yourself. You but. do. But at the same time, like if you were to ask my opinion, I think that like these types of like, I would even consider it like a humanities type course that you could add into high school. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. to teach about like different experiences. Self, yeah. yeah. Like, like self, self, self-worth, self, learn something yeah. about culture, you know, learn how to do taxes, you know, like yeah. things that's like, everyone's going to grow up and who cares if you know that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the right. cell when you graduate, but you don't know, <laughs> you don't know, you know how know. to deal with your yeah. own mental struggles. You don't know <laughs> like, what the world's going to look like outside. Yeah. Like, yeah. how do you pay bills? How do you do this? Like there, there need to be more like practical skills and things that like focus on like bettering people. You know, just yeah. self-worth and I, I don't agree. know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, Jana, me and Jana talk about this a lot because she, she really feels like school made her ill-prepared and that school is producing a lot of people, I say school, uh, the university system in the U.S. is producing a lot of people who are really kind of dysfunctional and specialized in uh, mostly useless areas. <laughs> but not just like a balanced like functional person and and then the job field is just an absolute just fucking slaughterhouse you know <laughs> just it's terrible right now especially if you come out the humanities degree yeah yeah and for sure which that's kind of depressing in my opinion because yeah, it so almost I, seems like we need more people kind of like what you were saying even totally. implementing in a high school like we need more people that are focused on like people's uh mental health people's like how how they deal with life i mean if i was all, all kinds try, of yeah if i was trying to hire someone for my company i would rather have someone who's like more well-rounded with a humanities degree than someone who just like got their degree in biology and they're like mm-hmm. i know about plants and animals right. it's like well cool but like yeah you know yeah, that's not yeah. gonna help you yeah <laughs> yeah but your your humanities uh grad might also like spray paint your business and break the windows that you know yeah that's true <laughs> that there there's probably some of those that would do that but we don't have to, we don't have to go there at all but <laughs> not all hashtag not all humanities majors yeah right? yeah, yeah yeah there you that's go true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and if you ever are feeling stressed out enough to you know spray paint stuff smash stuff take out that energy at club albi 
A-L-B-E-E. Well, now that Club Alley is shut down, we have to... I'm reopening it, though. Burn down the city. Okay, there you go. That could be our first sponsor. Yeah, Club Albie. Dang. Go that there. that go would park. honestly be crazy. <laughs> yeah. Would we have to like mix in some song? Or, I don't know. I guess I'll some make ads. It. I'll make it. We'll work on some ads. <laughs> yeah. For like, what do you think Club Albie sells? Like, what it Drinks. sounds like? What, 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 no, like what do they Club sell? Albie for two dollars a week. Mm. They sell like week. Uh, like like yoga. It's an oxygen subscription boxes. It's an oxygen bar. Yes. Oxygen With bar subscription boxes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An opium den. Opium Probably. den. Yeah, yeah. That's more yeah, my yeah. kind of <laughs> my kind of place. Dude, in Oregon, I think you can can smoke. Oh opium. yeah, isn't that that's crazy? I yeah. keep hearing stuff about Oregon. Oh yeah, like, that they legalize. Well, no, it's a certain city in Oregon. That legalized everything, right? Or is it, it the whole under state? under medical supervision, or I, I have no idea. Maybe that's, it's only clinical. That's, what a job! Yeah, I mean, so like to give people op- drugs, like opium overdoses. The yeah. the reason people overdose is because it like decreases your respiratory drive, so you essentially mm. just stop breathing. So, I mean, but there's they they have like uh, what's called Narcan. It's just a nasal mm-hmm. spray. You just ram it up their nose, and you know, and then mm-hmm. it just completely reverses it. Uh, so I'm assuming that medical supervision means just like some teenager with a Narcan, like, are you still breathing? Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, if you stop breathing, you know, six breaths per minute or less, I'm going to give you some Narcan. Jeez. (laughs) What a job. Yeah. Yeah, I want to be a Narcan guy. It's like being the towel boy. A a a Narcan technician. Yeah. Narcan ninja just jumps in there. It's like the film, the, the camera guy for a porno. <laughs> you're just like you're not yeah. in on the action, but you're like right there. You got to get up in it, oh, especially if shit gets real. Um, sorry, uh, but <laughs> but you know, um, back back to basically, basically okay. Applying put a I, weird I image in my mind now. It's hard to hear what you're saying. Yeah, I know. I love I love to get too far off a rabbit <laughs> hole and then jump right back to just what we were talking dive about. Nose right into it, off the high dive. As a listener, I enjoy it when that happens. So yeah. Well, if, yeah. Y'all, if y'all hate that, uh, DM me. <laughs> um, so, like, getting into male school, you said you applied once, you didn't yeah. get in. Mm-hmm. You applied, like, how many times can you apply? Do you have to, like, pay? Like, or how many people even get, like, people say medical school, but they're like, like, what is that, a place? Is it, a secret organization. Yeah. So medical school, I mean, technically it has to be an institution that can grant you either an MD, which is medical degree, mm-hmm. or a DO, which is a doctor of osteopathy. So what is osteopathy? So it that's it it's all down into history, right? So a oh. DO you and if I mean I don't, I'm, I will never speak poorly of them because they get essentially the exact same education that MDs get with an additional, what they call like musculoskeletal manipulation. So I think back in the day it was like chiropractors, Mm. right? Like you learn how to like adjust the back and they still learn those things to this day with the addition of like the medicine that we would learn in MD schools. So they, Mm. they technically learn more than we do. Mm. Um, but just with the history given that they were basically chiropractors who would, you know, try to say they could cure diseases by adjusting your back, which Mm -hmm. That's not to say that chiropractors don't do real work because they do. Um, but if they're ever like, oh, I'm going to cure your diabetes by adjusting your lumbar right. spine, you're like, no, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's definitely not how that works. And, you know, but yeah. <laughs> so there was that, there's that stigma. Uh, so 
Oklahoma has one DO school and one MD school. Uh, and so I'm part of the MD program in Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, like, so there's a limited number of seats. I think at OU there's, well, I know at OU there's 165 seats a year and there's somewhere around four, almost 5,000 applicants for those 165 seats. Yeah. So, I mean, like a lot of people try now that's also people across the country who shoot out 50 applications. Mm -hmm. Um, I will forever be like, I'll have the opinion though, that, a lot of what makes the difference between like people who can easily get into medical school and people who can't has a lot to do with privilege, to be honest. Mm. So like for me, I got in off the wait list. I applied my first time. I was misguided by our pre-med advisor who told me I needed to do things that I actually should have been doing different things. Right. So that's why it didn't work out for me the first time. The second time, um, my MCAT, which is the medical college admissions test. It's not a pass or fail thing. It's kind of like an ACT. You get a numerical score and then you apply to medical school with that number and they'll either say, you know, this is good or this isn't. Um, but I, so I didn't do well on that test. I was working a full-time job trying to pay off the course I had to buy Mm. to study for the test. Right. And like, I I mean, I had to work, I had to work. I had to have a job. There are a lot of people who are fortunate. And again, I'm not going to, I'm not saying that people who have privilege don't deserve it because you know, they absolutely do. If you got into medical school, you worked hard. Right. right? Um, But at the same time, you know, they have parents who are able to pay for their living, pay for their Mm -hmm. bills, pay for their car, pay for everything. And they can just say, Hey, you know, use this four months to study for the MCAT and they get Mm -hmm. 90 something percentile scores. And they're just like, excellent. And it's like, great. Some of us had to work a full time job. Some of us had to work 40 hours a week and we had to study with whatever extra time we could have Mm -hmm. on top of that. And that's where I was. Cause I've, I don't have, my family doesn't have money. Like my family has been able to take care of me and provide for me. And I'm like eternally grateful to them for that. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was never a whole lot of financial privilege Mm -hmm. uh, for me. And so some people, you know, you find out like, Oh yeah, my, my dad or my mom's a doctor or both of them or they're lawyers. And it's like, that's excellent. And that is so good for them, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to speak poorly on them for that. Um, but there's definitely that sense of like, it's really hard to pull yourself up from the dirt and just be mm-hmm. like, I'm going to get in. I'm going to go from somewhere who someone who has no status or prestige in their family and, and then attain one of the most prestigious fields that you can get that you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very hard. And that's mm-hmm. why I think it took me some extra time. I didn't have proper guidance. I didn't have the financial means, you know, and again, Applying for medical school is expensive. People are having to take out loans because mm-hmm. it costs like some some schools cost like one hundred and fifty dollars for a primary application. Oh. So for every school you you choose to apply to, that's You're extra paying. money, right? Oh and then for yeah. another reason, they they also will send you a secondary application, right? So it's like, oh yeah, we liked your your primary application. Now you know, write us some essays for why you want to go to this school and why we should choose you. So then you got to write those and you got to spend like 70 bucks for every secondary you send back. So again, some people can only afford to to apply to three schools, right? Mm. Other people can afford to, can afford to apply to 50. Your chances of getting in when you're applying to 50 different places are way greater Mm -hmm. than if you were just to apply to your home program. Right. Mm. And so that's another area where it's like, if you don't have the money, you just can't do it. Like you Mm. can't apply. Mm. That's Um, frustrating. It's very frustrating. Like starting from, from nothing and, and having to scrap your way up a lot of things a lot of things force you to do that like if you're starting from you you don't have money saved up you don't have any privilege almost anything you 
want to do that's totally different or totally out of your element. You have to just fight those tides and mm-hmm. know that you have to give away all your time and other people, they just have, you know, free time to do it. I mean, it, it was the same thing in Lambda. Like some people, they didn't have a job along with it. So they could just dedicate their full time, mm-hmm. just already searching for jobs early. And then me, I'm like listening to videos while I'm taking deliveries and like right. trying to brush right. up yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're just like, Oh my God, like this is so unfair. And you see like those people, they'll get like sometimes like exponentially ahead Yeah. and just make more and more progress. And you're like, Oh, Dude, it's the same thing with people in bands that have families that can just like, oh yeah, be like, oh, you want to go on a month long tour? Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. We got your car payment. We got your like rent. Don't worry about it. I remember not to mention all the equipment that, that they would have to. Yeah, like, like have you to would go. meet yeah. these people and you're like spending three dollars a day at Taco Bell. Like haven't showered since Tuesday. Yeah. And it's Friday, and you're like. Wait, what? You pulled up in a just like one of those one of the yeah, fancy like, vans. Like a big huge yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, it's it's fancy wild. Man. It's wild to meet those people sometimes. Yeah. Good for them, but yeah. it's it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I remember there is a certain uh band that is just like what you described from here. Mm-hmm. Like their parents. There's a couple. There's I'm, a couple. I'm sure there's a couple. Maybe say maybe Sabretooth, the other <laughs> No, 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 <laughs> no, not that. No, never. They look like they work on the oil rig. Oh, the other. Oh, okay, the other band that's now named that. That's what you mean. Yeah, the there, newer one. There's a new band from Oklahoma called Sabretooth. Yeah, Turf War, baby. Yeah, they have no hey. fucking idea whose whose door they're knocking. You have no on. idea you're messing with, fellow. Yeah, they just knocked on the coffin door. Of, uh, anyway, um, uh. But okay, there's a certain band that's just like that. Like their parents paid for them to go on tour with this like mm-hmm. really big band, and all of that. And we always like heard of them, and we're like, oh fuck them, and hate on them, whatever. Uh, but w- at the same time, I worked at Panera, and there was this old couple that would always come in like right before five minutes before close, and then like eat inside and leave a bunch of trash. Like they would do it like three nights a week. Yeah. Yeah. And and I found it's their thing. Come on, man. We a strange set of circumstances happened, and we ended up playing a Galardia house show at one point. <laughs> and them. and we were inside of this house loading in, and the people that were hosting the house show were it's the band, the very privileged band. And then when I was loading in my stuff in the house, I looked at a family picture and I saw <laughs> <laughs> that it was the no same way. family. I and I was like, Oh my God. That's so funny. What a crazy. I was like, I'm in the, I'm in the, the house, the stronghold of my oppressors right now. <laughs> so I thought at the time, but, uh, that's when you do an upper decker in their bathroom. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, like make them or every up. bathroom. I couldn't even find the bathroom in that place. Honestly, yeah, I got like, kind of lost looking. Like, for I'm, the I'm lost in the wine cellar. <laughs> yeah, <for laughs> I, I'm losing signal. Uh, I'm in the butler's call closet, yeah. whatever they call that. I thought this was the study. It's a huge bird cage. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> they have thirty canaries in here. <laughs> and sometimes they're always the easiest to see is the people that have an unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know, like. That feel, I, I guess I, I guess I'm saying I definitely relate to that. Yeah, but at that point, it kind of goes back to you just got to push through that. Like those people are always going to exist. People like us yeah. and other people are always going to exist. You just kind of have to keep moving through it, no matter yeah. what. And there's something about it. There's something about the merit of like 
not getting there with, you know, riding someone's coattails mm-hmm. and not having that privilege. Like, yeah, I think that for anybody who like went to medical school and, you know, within my field, like should be proud of themselves. But there's times where like, and I try not to be arrogant about it because I don't want to give off any vibe of like, I think I'm better than anyone, someone mm-hmm. else because I have more education or I'm going to make more money than them one day. Like I always try to be very careful of not being that way. But behind closed doors at home, sometimes I'm just like, you know, just think about it. I'm like, hell yeah, man, I'm so proud of myself. Like, mm-hmm. that's cool. I didn't As have anyone. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have anyone boosting me there. Like I didn't have, like I, I went from just like, your average Joe standpoint. And then I'm not saying like that I'm not an average Joe because I absolutely am. But I went from that like type of leverage where it's just like, you don't have anyone who is trying to help you out. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have anyone on your side. Like you're just like, I'm going to try to get this. And so, you know, sometimes it's just like getting there without, I mean, no one gets to where they are like without some sort of help, Mm -hmm. right? Everyone needs help and there's no problem asking for help. And if you're in a situation where you have like an advantage and privilege, like there's no shame in using it, right? Mm -hmm. But there is also that extra bit of gratification you get uh, when you didn't have that option, but you still made it. Like that's, Mm -hmm. it feels so good. Like I'm sure Austin that you're feeling that same way, like that you just like had to work. You had to find your own path. You had to do everything yourself you know, and that's the way I feel. And so it's just, it's, there's just something that a lot of, yeah, a lot of like self-worth and a lot of gratification doing that. So I wouldn't change it. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, I want my family to have the best, but like, yeah, it feels good earning what I've earned, you know, mm-hmm. but you still, you still got a lot of hardship ahead Ooh, of you. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like you're, how, how much longer do you have before you're officially a doctor? So let's, I'll be officially a doctor. Um, I think it's in May 2022. So, okay. yeah, so okay. like just just right around a year. Wow. Uh, that's when I'll graduate with my MD. Whoa. But I'll be an intern. I'll make like not good money. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like it's like probably I think they say it's usually like $50,000 a year, which is good. That's good money. Right. But you you're working 80 plus hours yeah. a week. Yeah. So, yeah. when I say not good money, I mean not good hourly pay. Yeah. Like for the amount of yeah, work you're putting for the amount of work you're doing yeah. and the amount of mm-hmm. like stress. Right. I mean like right. you're the guy that's sitting there, someone comes in with heart failure, you know, and it's like, Oh, they've got too much fluid on their lungs. Like I need to give them uh, like a water pill, but how much do I give? You give them too much. They'll get dehydrated. Their kidneys mm. could fail and they could die. You don't give them enough. They could go into respiratory failure and die. And so it's like Jeez. everything you're doing is like, could be, High stakes. Yeah, I mean, everything's high stakes. So the amount of pressure you're under constantly Mm -hmm. and, you know, having family, like I have a wife and a son. Right. And like, that's going to be a lot of time spent away from them. Mm. So monetarily, it doesn't feel like that much. But, you know, eventually it'll be more. You Mm -hmm. just got to get like certified and you got to do your training it's there's always more training you know mm-hmm. finish medical school people are like oh you're a doctor like it's kind of like a uh, an unspoken code between like interns which intern is your first year out of medical school you are technically a physician um, but you're still kind of in training and then residents that are residency is after your intern year um if you've seen someone who's like a year or two out of like out of medical school and you're like, Oh, Hey, Dr. Dr. Nichols. They'll be like, Oh, don't call me that. Just call me chance. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, call me this because I don't feel like I'm a doctor yet. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause you just, you know, you're so fresh out of school. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. And then of course the loans, 
You know, that's something I've had to get through undergrad and medical school, both with loans. I mean, so you're probably a good quarter of a million. Oh, you don't have to. Oh, my friend, <laughs> I, I I am past a quarter of a million. Oh, that was nice. Yeah, yeah. I I am a I'm a decent size lotteries worth oh of uh, medical school and undergraduate loan debt. So that's great. But I mean, it's. I mean, you make good it's money. More, as it's a, more right, pressure, right, though. Yeah. I mean, you basically just pay in, on interest throughout your residency so that it doesn't just, like, completely consume you. And then mm-hmm. usually after that, you just keep living life as you were a resident and just aggressively pay off your student loans so they don't swallow you because mm-hmm. they will swallow you. Like, there's some people who pay their, their minimum uh, payment, you know, every month for 10 years, and then their student loan balance has either not gone down or it's even gone up. You know, it's Jeez. like, yeah, the interest rates can be so crazy that you mm-hmm. can be making the minimum payment and it's just your balance is just stays right there. Wow. And so it's, it's bad. And that goes back to basic financial education. Yeah. Uh, and like those, those loans are terrible because they can follow you till you retire. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, and they'll even take your pension money. Oh yeah. Gosh. Uh, this is and, all and very new information to me. I, I knew all of that happened, but I didn't know the like the scope of it, you know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I've never looked at it at this yeah. perspective. Yeah. I mean, if you have like, if you're half a million in debt and you have whatever 10% interest, which isn't outside of, <laughs> of how it is sometimes you have 10% interest, you know, that's $50,000, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's a lot. It's a, yeah. <laughs> is, it's that, a lot. is that, is that 50, that is $50,000. No, well, yeah. if you're, yeah. wait, what did you say? If you have, the, uh, if you have half a million dollar oh, yeah, loan, yeah. $50,000, mm-hmm. that's, that's your 10% interest. If you're mm-hmm. not catching up with that and paying so that that interest mm-hmm. will lower. Yeah. You're so you're like, yeah, you're running against water. You're treading water. almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, and there are some physicians that make 50 grand a month. Wow. Yeah. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's like, you take five thousand of that to live nicely for that month, right? And then mm-hmm. you just you just Shell. shred the rest yeah. of the forty five thousand into because I mean I, on a monthly basis, once you've paid your your interest for that payment, you know, like everything else goes towards the principal. Mm-hmm. So making big aggressive payments just mm-hmm. knocks down that principal, which in turn knocks down the interest. So it's that's the way to do it. But mm-hmm. it's hard once you've been you've been struggling, you're finally making good money. You're like, I want to buy land, I want to buy a house, I want to buy a car. And it's mm-hmm. like, nah, hang on. Yeah. Don't yeah. worry, you'll get to live a good life when you're fifty. <laughs> like, you know, like whew. Yeah. After yeah. you get bled on and pissed on and shit on for That's forty true. years. For Physically tw- and years. you know, emotionally, I'll say mm-hmm. that too. Do, do they make you since you're you're like going through various, I guess, sessions where you're like shadowing doctors mm-hmm. and like kind of mm-hmm. working in a, a certain area for a period of time. Do, do they have you do like the dirty work? Oh, like oh these are, this is getting into the questions I want to <laughs> yeah. ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You guys ask away for sure. No. Yeah. We, we definitely do the scrub work for sure. Oh. Um, the other, so I'm on surgery right now. That's the clerkship I'm on. Um, and so there was one time we walk into the so, OR. Uh, wait, do you participate in surgery? Oh yeah, dude, I'm, I'm scrubbed in, I'm suturing, I'm doing like, basically oh, the only okay. thing I'm wow. not doing is like cutting vital organs or blood vessels. Okay, Jeez. what does it smell like when someone's open? Like, but they're, they're alive. So, so I'm curious wondered. too. Cause, there, there oh. is no smell unless you perforate a bowel. Ooh. So 
just oh. someone opening up. So like the thing that would cause smell is bacteria, right? But like your your abdominal cavity mm-hmm. is sterile yeah. in, in normal circumstances unless you have an infection or an abscess. So you open it up. Really all you can smell is like the the iodine wash that they put mm-hmm. to sterilize. There's, I mean, everything is sterile. Uh, the, the, the room in the air in the OR is constantly circulating so that it's just like filtered and circulating. So like everything, so you're not getting a bunch of dust, you're not getting like mold and stuff. Um, so really like a dust bunny falls in the air, (laughs) but like, yeah, but it would, like it would, like that would happen. That's so funny. And so, yeah. The janitor, he didn't get hair from home or something. So in general, in general. There is no smell. Like it's just this mm-hmm. this sterility of it. I did yes. watch um, and participate in a colostomy. Um, one of the patients, all just for you know HIPAA violation and not giving anything away. I'm not going to give away any identifying features, so don't right. come at me. <laughs> um, but a patient had um, like rectal cancer, mm-hmm. so they had a tumors that had grown so extensively in the rectum, which is the the most terminal part of your colon, that they they weren't able to like past bowel movements right and so what happens is that's an obstruction your bowels will get big they can get infected they can perforate so what they do is they do a colostomy i'm sure like some people have heard of a colostomy bag or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's basically a bag they basically take your intestine and they pick it up and they cut it open and then they suture the edges of that cut to your skin to create basically so that your colon leaks out into your skin rather than down there so that offers like an escape Mm-hmm. for like all the fecal matter mm-hmm. yeah right? and then you have to switch out that bag and you have to switch it. out the bag and like that Whoa. comes that becomes your way some of them are temporary some of them mm-hmm. are permanent wow. um but i was sitting in the or or standing there's there's no sitting um <laughs> and they they grabbed the the transverse colon and they were just like okay like we're let's let's make this incision and it was pretty like you know it was pretty full the the mm. colon and they go and they cut into it and there was just this big like <laughs> and it's exactly what you would think it is like what is air in the colon yeah but a yeah. fart right yeah. so essentially this patient just like ripped ass in our face <laughs> and it smelled exactly like that <laughs> so <laughs> i was like all right yeah just but really got... you ripped their ass yeah <laughs> they, we oh, got God. we got tooted on big time uh <laughs> um Yeah, and so that's that's pretty wild. I also um, there was what's called a wound debridement. This is kind of wild to me. So wounds that get like really infected for people. Mm -hmm. Typically, it's people who have diabetes. Diabetes can cause like um, blood vessel damage, especially small blood vessels, which is what Mm -hmm. supplies your skin, right? Um, So people will get ulcers in their skin that won't heal because there's not proper blood flow. So they usually start kind of like on their butt, right? Like it'll start somewhere where there's like high pressure, like your your um, your pelvis or whatever is, is pressing down and cutting off that blood supply. And for people who live a really sedentary lifestyle, they don't get mm-hmm. up and move and get that circulation flowing. That tissue becomes ischemic, which basically means it doesn't get blood flow. So mm-hmm. it dies and then an ulcer forms. Well, this lady had an ulcer. Um, she gets wheeled into the OR and all that the resident had told me, like the surgical resident was like, yeah, we're going to be doing a wound debridement, which is basically where you're cutting off rotten tissue. Right. And like cleaning it out. Mm -hmm. And so I, you, you know, I go back into the OR and this patient is like prone on the surgical table and they just did not have a right butt cheek. Like it was just, 
there was nothing. It was muscle, fat, and just Whoa. dead tissue. Holy so we had to go in there and like, we're trying to get sterile and everything. But because of the extensive wound, right? Like if she were to pass a bowel, mm. go straight into the wound, right? Oh. Be just because of yeah. where it was. So this yeah. is like you shaved all of the like dead or rotten yeah. flesh away. Mm-hmm. And you just have to shave it away. You have to shave you it can't away. Leave it. The thing, yeah, because if you leave it, what happens is it get becomes rotten. Bacteria mm-hmm. grow in there, mm-hmm. and the bacteria get into your bloodstream, and you die. Right. There's nothing yeah. you can do about it. Right. You have to cut it out. It won't heal. It won't scar. It will just rot, and you'll go septic, and you'll die. Yeesh. So there is no option. And the only way you know that you're in viable tissue is if it bleeds. So you know you get in there, and you're getting around the edge, and you're just cutting, and there's just no blood. And so Whoa. you just, you know, keep cutting back, keep cutting back. And then you start cutting and you see some bleeding. And so you take a little electrical cautery thing and you cut that off and you're like, mm. okay, we're good in this region. You know, you just keep going. Um, so y'all kept going until you re- and until then, you, and then you realized you're like, oh my God, this keeps just going deeper yeah, and deeper and deeper. Wow. Totally. So wow. the way it went down was like, you could actually see the, the, this patient's, uh, colon from the outside. Damn. You could see the, like where like the anus was, you could see where their rectum was. And then on the front side, it wrapped essentially all the way around their leg, their upper leg. Uh, you could see the portion of the vagina that should be on the inside, right? Mm-hmm. Like inside the flesh. But you could see the wall of the vagina from the outside. Oh, my Lord. And whenever you're done debriding it, you have to do it about every other day. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes every day. And when you're done, you have to get like bleach soaked rags and basically just stuff that area and then staple a rag on top of it because you have to have easy access the next day. You know, you can't close it. And she didn't have enough skin to close it. Essentially, it looked like there's like not enough skin. You can't gather enough skin. Exactly. There was not enough skin. Like the way this looks, the best way I could explain it would be that her right leg looked like she was wearing thigh highs of flesh, but then it just stopped and then it was just muscle on top of that because all the fat all the skin had died and rotted off or was cut off by us Mm. and it had the weirdest smell that one had a smell Mm. because it was rotten tissue yeah and i thought it was going to be like smell like you know i thought it was going to just smell like honestly like shit right like a carcass or something yeah you would think it didn't it smelled like Salt and vinegar chips. Oh, dang. And I don't know what that was. Like, I don't know what made it smell that way. Yeah. I don't know if it was like the antiseptics that they had been scrubbing on it. Mm -hmm. But I just remember we had finally like finished it up. (laughs) And I'm just sitting there and the resident just tosses me this scrub. And it's a scrub that's like one half is a sponge. The other half was like kind of like bristles. And she just goes, get to scrubbing. And I was like, wait, what do we mean? (laughs) What do we mean when we say get to scrubbing? And she was like, scrub the wound. And I was like, okay. So I like open up this sponge and I get it wet. And like literally we're just like all inside the wound. We had to get up to the edge where the fat was. We had to scrub the muscle. And this foam just becomes pink because it's bleeding a little bit as we're scrubbing it, which is intentional that's what we're supposed to do agitated yeah it's getting agitated it's getting inflamed so like we're just sitting there scrubbing this wound with this like sterilizing stuff and i'm just sitting there like what am i doing with my life like (laughs) somebody over here i mean you have like when when you're dealing with stuff like this is it like 
obviously this isn't an every day. This maybe something like this happens once a month, once a week. Or it depends. Stuff like I mean, for me on the service, there were several. Now they're not always this bad. Uh-huh. Sometimes they're just ulcers. You know, you get in there, you debride out a little bit, you clean it up, and it's good enough that you could just take a skin graft from the thigh and close it up, and good, everything's good, right? This one was just so extensive mm, yeah. that it was like, there's no graft you can do for this. Mm. Like, like I, I mean, I just remember the surgeons being like, we're essentially doing this until this patient passes because Whoa. like you can't close that. There was right. so much missing. Like there's nothing there. I mean, yeah, like yeah. a lot of the, excuse me, a lot of medicine is like, Sometimes it's saving lives. People come in with an acute issue. They come in with appendicitis. You go and you cut it out. You mm-hmm. send them home and they're better for it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's frequent flyers who have heart failure, have kidney disease. They need dialysis mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And you're just basically treating their symptoms and you have to send them home knowing they're going to come back. Right. Like they're, there's just what it is. Like yeah. some people you're just trying to limit the amount of suffering mm-hmm. that they're going to have to go through. Mm-hmm. until they pass right and that's just the reality and um but this was kind of one of those cases you know it's just like cleaning it up and doing all this and then just packing it down with those bleach soaked rags and and covering it up and basically being saying you know see you tomorrow because mm-hmm. we're gonna have to do it again tomorrow does this produce any kind of like adrenaline rush or panic or bouts of fear or like I don't know. Have you ever had a panic attack? So for me or for the patient? For you. Uh, no. Uh, I mean, so my very first, the very first surgery I saw, you know, I always, I've always been able to like handle gore. Like mm-hmm. you see it on online or you, you know, someone gets a broken bone and you're like, oh man, that's, you know, that looks bad, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could always handle it. But the first procedure I was scrubbing into was uh, a hernia repair in the abdomen. And I was like, okay, like essentially someone, a part of someone's intestines was herniating through a deformity in their abdominal wall, right? Mm-hmm. It's common. It happens a lot. Um, but I just like, I was scrubbed in, I was ready to go. And then like, they were like, okay, we're about to make the incision. And I was just like, oh shit, like, I hope I can handle this. <laughs> like, I hope like I've, I just assume I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Like, right, you know, right. right and yeah. so they, they make that cut someone's stomach open. Right. And I'm like, you're about to go dig around in their guts and just, you know, yank and suture mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So I'm just like, I hadn't even really thought like, what if I can't handle this? Mm. Which that yeah. went away pretty quickly. But yeah. the, that, those first five minutes I was like, okay, whew, just breathe. You know, this that is good. We're good. Yeah, exactly. Trying to, trying to get in. Right. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like, I'm not a surgeon. I don't know what I'm doing. Right, this person's right. going to die. You know? And it's, of course that wasn't the case. Um, so the first procedure that I did kind of get that little bit of an adrenaline rush and like making sure like, okay, keep your feet steady, move around, don't pass out. Cause that'll look really stupid. If like, I'm like, hi, I'm the medical student. I'm here to observe and learn. And you're going to be evaluating me based on my performance. And then you just like <laughs> fall backwards. <laughs> and then they're like, Oh great. This dumbass couldn't handle it. And they got to go over there and bring me water and a cold rag on my head. Right. You know, like that's the, that I was more afraid of that than the surgery. Right. Yeah. But so, mm-hmm. um, but there are classmates that I have that, like I was in the student room and one of my classmates came in and she was like, I am about to pass out and I feel like I'm going to throw up. And I was like, Oh no, are you okay? Like, you know, we're all on surgery together right now. Not the entire class, Mm -hmm. but a group of us. And, uh, you know, she was just like, I just can't handle it. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, was it just a bad procedure? It was like, did something go on? Was there a complication? And she's like, no, I just can't handle the surgery. Mm. So there are some, some Mm -hmm. people who like, (laughs) honestly, it's, it's six weeks of hell because, 
you know, every day you've got to go in and watch people, you know, get sliced open and bleed. Mm -hmm. And, and there's a smell. The cautery is what they use to stop bleeding and to like cut through Mm -hmm. everything but skin, essentially. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever like caught. So like we have a, like an electric fly swatter that you can just like smack. It looks like a tennis racket. If you catch the flies on there and you hold it down and it just burns them, um, it gives off this like burnt smell. That's exactly what human uh, flesh smells like. So if you've ever smelt geez. a burnt fly, <laughs> okay, no, I know, I know what you're. Talking That's exactly about. what it smells oh like. My gosh. You get used huh. to it eventually. Yeah. Um, unless you're burning through fat. If you burn through fat, no joke, it smells like Fritos. Really, <laughs> Fritos. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like Fritos. Like so not just salt of any chips. And you know what's Fritos. weird? Like I'm ashamed to admit this, but there have been times where like I'll smell that. And I'm like, ooh, that smells good, and my stomach will rumble, and I'm like, what is going on right now? <laughs> it's lunchtime, man. <laughs> well, a lot of times too. I mean, when you're on surgery, it's like the two rules are like eat when you can and don't mess with the pancreas, right? Mm. Those are like the two rules okay. of surgery. So there are some okay. times where like you don't eat till 3 p.m., wow. right? So sometimes you are starving. You go into right. there, you smell something that smells like Fritos and just like your stomach's <laughs> just like, mm, yum, 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 you know, and you're just, it's weird though. It's yeah, a very bump, weird you're feeling. You're bumping the surgeon next to you. You're like, hey man, you want to go Sonic? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chili pie for this? It's making me fucking hungry, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you get a good fart that smells like cheese and you're like, woo! Yeah, there you go. There <laughs> Fritos you go. and cheese, baby! <laughs> so there's like the gross side of it but then there's also the much more human emotional side like have you had difficult emotional i I don't know because you think about the just becoming a doctor like all the difficulties of learning the yeah. skill and, and passing the tests and all that but then there's the other side of it of just being at the front seat of like suffering and death mm-hmm. and all of that and you must have been preparing for that for a while but like does that do do you feel like you've taken i don't know had any significant impact done to you from any experiences it's it's that's a good question like it's hard like there are times where I always thought that as I went through medical school and like as I saw more like, yeah, I've, I've had to be a part of like delivering the news that like, yeah, your your dad has cancer now or like their cancer has come back. We had one patient who had a pretty like relatively harmless surgery, but as a a potential complication that was discussed, you know, this was not malpractice. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a stroke mm-hmm. and we had to tell them like he won't. He's not going to recover. Oh, like, so it's almost like, oh, you can do the surgery. There's like a three yeah. or five percent chance of And sometimes that happens. Yeah. Like there's a percent chance, mm-hmm. a small percent chance risk because it can happen and it mm-hmm. has happened. Yeah. And these things are always discussed with the patients, but obviously the hope is always you're gonna do great. You right, want it like right. after every surgery, the surgeon goes and calls whoever the patient put as their like contact mm-hmm. and they call them in the OR and say, Hey, you know, we just finished with, you know, Miss Jones. That's just mm-hmm. a random name. But say, you know, we, we just finished up. Everything went great. You know, they're, they're going to be put in recovery. They're going to come out from their anesthesia mm-hmm. and, you know, they're going to be hurting a little bit, but we're going to give them some medication. They can go home and, you know, kind of give them the list of like, this is things you need to watch out for. You know, if mm-hmm. she gets a fever, if this and that, and that's the phone call you always want to make, right. you know, but right. There are times where that's not the phone call you get to make. And I always thought that, you know, it would be easier as you got more like exposure to it that like you'd kind of 
harden a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's been the opposite. It probably gets harder. It, I think eventually it will get, I, w- I wouldn't want to say easier, but it'll be easier to cope with. You think right? you'll hit a balance. Yeah, I yeah. think so. But for now, I, I, I always thought like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a year into third year. You know, the first two years of medical school, you're in a classroom, you don't deal with a lot of patients. But in the third year, that's like all you do. Mm. And I thought like, oh, by the end of third year, like this will be, I'll have it down on pack. I'll know how to give bad news and how to like kind of console the family and, you know, give them information and things like that. But as you have more exposure to what kind of suffering there is, you mm-hmm. know, like some people, it's like, yeah. like, like with the COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, people are like, oh yeah, so-and-so they're in the ICU on a ventilator. And you hear that and you think like, you just imagine someone in a bed just laying there and they've just got a tube in their mouth and they're just, oh, but like in reality, it's yeah. brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. You're people watching are like people. struggling. There are people who have tubes down in their throat that are vomiting because, it's just, you know, mm-hmm. irritating their throats. Mm-hmm. There are people who aren't breathing. There's people who it's like, no matter what you adjust the ventilator to, they're not getting oxygen. Ugh. And there's people who are just suffocating. And you see that and you're like, when someone's like, yeah, my, you know, my uncle had, got COVID and he's in the ICU. Everyone pray for him. I'm like, you have that idea. You have the luxury of having that idea of what that looks like of them just right. laying there getting support. But like you almost, I almost have that curse of like, I know what what it looks like, right. what they're actually going through. I don't know what they're going through personally because I haven't experienced see that. what's actually going on. But I know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I know almost like I could almost predict what's happening to them right now. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because you hear that, and especially when it happens to people you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just like, man, like people aren't supposed to suffer the way that you can see people suffer. Mm-hmm. And so it almost makes it harder because you you know what that looks like. And... So it's like, you know, you hear about someone who has dementia and they get a UTI and they, you know, have an altered mental status and fell and broke their hip. And, you're, you know, in your head, you just expect it's like, oh, yeah, so and so, whatever, no problem. They fell, they'll go to the doctor and the doctor will make it better. But then, like, you know what actually you've seen that progress happen. Like mm-hmm. you've seen people slowly lose their minds and then you've seen what a broken hip really looks like mm, and how yeah. painful the recovery is. It's not just, oh, they broke it, it'll get better. It's they broke it and this is what they're going to go through before they get better. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, it just doesn't make, it's just, and I think eventually it will get easier, but just shockingly, like mm-hmm. it hasn't yet for me. Yeah, I mean, your knowledge, like you said, the knowledge of human suffering is just growing yeah. for that position. Absolutely. Like just seeing what how the body can be broken and mangled in all these different ways or yeah. disease or anything like that yeah that's crazy yeah you get a unique perspective into suffering mm-hmm. and it's it's sad it's mm-hmm. really sad mm-hmm. yeah it's it's almost like too much of a well like a, a stoic practice would be you know you, you meditate on your own death or think of how mm-hmm. you can suffer or think of how people have suffered and you almost like sprinkle your day with with a little bit of that just to give you like gratitude and like mm-hmm. perspective and uh, framing. But then you're almost getting like an overdosage, like every day is your job of yeah. just like mm-hmm. extra human suffering, extra gore, extra violence. And so it's almost, it's almost unnatural. Uh, but I, I imagine like I've heard this, that doctors, they kind of just almost split their personalities. Yeah. Just, just out of a defense, but not even like, oh, I'm gonna act different. But just like, yeah. hey, when yeah. I get home, 
I'm a different person. Yeah. Right. Because I just want to cleanse my mm-hmm. my time with my family, my identity of everything that I'm doing at work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's like healthy. No, I think it absolutely is. Yeah, I think yeah. that you have to you have to have some way to cope. Like, you have mm-hmm. to have a. This is my mindset when I'm here. But mm-hmm. you can't you can't bring that mindset home, or you're cold and you're yeah. like unopen, yeah. and like yeah. you can't. I can't be the dad that my son deserves for me to be if I'm being cold and emotionless. Right. I'm not saying in medicine you have to be cold and emotionless, but you, you have you know, to position yourself and be in a stance to yeah. where you can like not be affected by it. Well, yeah, yeah very I mean, often you're, you're dealing with yeah. emotional situations where the people on the other side are going to be completely emotional because it's. You know, exactly their loved one or themselves. Yeah, or and it would be a poor practice to not sympathize with them. Mm-hmm. But you just can't bring that burden home with you. Right. So you have to have this switch in your head that's like, okay, I'm in the hospital. I can be emotionally invested in this. I can be there for these patients. I can mm-hmm. have compassion for this. But you can't bring that home. Mm-hmm. So you have to. You absolutely have to have a different mindset, a different way of processing things when you come home because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll be shut off. I think that's a that's a great talent that I don't think that you really learn how to do until you're a little further into your career. I was just yeah. about to say I've noticed like the older I've gotten and I've it, the more frequent doctor visits I go to or I've had like a family physician who is like an older doctor, you you can kind of tell almost like if you can pick up on people's personalities at least. At least I've been able to tell some doctors I'm mm-hmm. like, "Oh, you don't act this way at home." Like, yeah. The way they talk to you, the way that they make you like approach you, they make you feel comfortable comfortable but like at the same time they're prepared it's very automated yeah yeah you yeah. can yeah and i notice that a lot with older doctors so yeah. i mean it makes sense yeah like the it, longer you do it the easier it gets absolutely yeah and there's like a stereotype of like the grouchy old doctor who's yeah. like super traumatized <laughs> and all that but like honestly what the i haven't met that many doctors and the ones i have are all older and they're yeah. all super nice mm-hmm. and usually a joy to be around mm-hmm and so it's clearly like, okay, they, they're meant to do this. Like they've got this down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so it's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are certainly those people though, who got into medical school a long time ago mm-hmm. when it was a little bit easier to get into where oh, they weren't yeah. thinking as much about like the way that they, right. because I mean, physicians are not flawless. Like mm-hmm. physicians are people. It's a job. You right, know what I mean? Right. It's not an identity. It's a job. Right. And, uh, not everyone's perfect. So you do get, you know, you do get mm-hmm. a few bad apples. Mm-hmm. You see them in the news and whatever. Um, but that's kind of why the whole approach into like admissions in medical school has a lot more to do with like, um, Landon would probably be into this, but like behavior analysis, you know, mm-hmm. like trying yeah. to figure out like, will you be a good person? Like, right. will you be a good physician? Will you be compassionate? You know, are mm-hmm. you going to be one of those people? Are you going to be one of those surgeons who throw equipment across the room and scream and cuss at their staff? Or are mm-hmm. you going to be someone who's compassionate and a good teacher and, you know, yeah. Yeah. things like yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah. Some, I definitely want someone doing a surgery on me to be very pleasant and <laughs> soft-spoken yeah not throwing things yeah, absolutely <laughs> accidentally dropping stuff into me <laughs> yeah like how would you feel if you're just like about to ha- have surgery and you like overhear your doctor <laughs> yeah he's like the divorce is going terrible yeah, <laughs> yeah. all right let's cut you open <laughs> like just <laughs> you know it's tough you... to put down the bottle okay uh, let's go <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah 
I've heard I was, you, I was you still petrif- high? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was petrified when I had a surgery going because they when they wheel, they yeah. wheeled me into that room and I could see all the nurses and I don't, do they usually do that? Are people usually awake when mm-hmm. they take you into the room? Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. I was just wondering if I was like got unlucky that day and I was like, no. am I supposed to be seeing all this? Yeah, <laughs> right one of the now? reasons is because you got to like transition onto the bed, oh, right? okay, onto the yeah. operating bed, yeah. which you can do with when patients are unconscious. It's mm-hmm. not unheard of. Like there, it's mm-hmm. pretty common too that people will come in already sedated. Okay, um, okay. but f- depending on the procedure, you know, they'll just bring them in there and they'll say, you know, we're going to put, they, they, it's kind of done in phases. They'll give them like some, what's called like Versed, which is kind of like Xanax kind of mm. has like a similar mm. effect and it just kind of mellows you out, cal- calms you down. And then they'll put something that actually puts mm. you under sedation. Mm. So they're really good about it and they take care of people as they're going in and they make sure not to touch them until mm. they're out. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want them to, right. you know, have that like my eyes are closed, but I can feel that, you know? Mm. Okay. That, that was actually That's something I wanted fear to, of mine. to ask yeah, about. Like, it's a hypochondriac thing because I know this is like a super small probability event, but mm-hmm. like, I think about it a disproportional amount of time is like the people that have the anesthesia experiences or whatever, where they yeah. still feel their body. Like what Ooh. is, what is that phenomenon? You know, I and how often does it happen? Like have it you doesn't, heard? it doesn't happen often. Um, okay. so different people have different like enzymes or enzyme concentrations in their body. Some people metabolize anesthesia quicker than others. Mm. <clears throat> and it's actually like, a like some people you can't give them sedation because their body does it so slowly that they will just stay sedated for a long time. Um, so, but then other people, you give them a pretty decent amount, like enough that would like knock out a mule. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're just still sitting there. So there's this balance. That's why there's anesthesiologists and it's like basically their job to monitor vitals, look at the patient, like literally anesthesiologists are at the head of the surgery bed and they can see the patient's face. And so they just sit there and if they start moving and wrestling around, that's when they'll go in and they'll fix things. Right. And they'll just flick them on the nose. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But like they they literally have got like all the drugs they need and they can just inject it, keep them under. Interesting. Um, And so it's like a fine balance of that. Usually when people, people sometimes do wake wake up up a little bit from surgery, but typically they're still so sedated. They can't feel it and they don't remember it. Right. Yeah. So like someone will just kind of move around and the surgeon will be like, Hey, I think they're kind of coming to a little bit. Let's give them something. The anesthesiologist will just do it and it's no harm. And they Mm -hmm. don't wake up and scream and moan because they can just feel it. Mm -hmm. You know, normally there's so many. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. That's all. That's an incredible like picture to think about of a human body being open. Mm -hmm. And then they're just kind of slowly like waking up (laughs) and it's like, just flip a switch, give them more. And then they're, Exactly. Well, and it's like, because you could, I mean, when you think about it, it's got to be a balance, right? You don't Mm want to, you don't want to sedate someone so heavily that they stop breathing. Right. right. And and a lot of sedation can actually, uh, like, especially with like opioids, morphine, things like Mm -hmm. that can, um, slow down your bowel. Right. So you can Mm -hmm. actually get like what's, what's called post-op ileus. And it's just Mm -hmm. basically where your, your intestines are paralyzed. Mm. And it's like that can cause obstructions, that can cause swelling, that can cause perforation, and that can cause another need for a surgery. Mm. So it's this fine balance of like making sure they're sedated enough that they're not going to experience any discomfort or any pain, mm. um, but also making sure that you're not doing it so much that you're going to cause more complications. Mm. So that's why you need a good anesthesiologist. Yeah. Um, and so, so no, I mean, the only time I have done, or I, I didn't do the operation, it was part of the operation, uh, that was done on someone who was consciously sedated. 
So they're awake, but you give them a nerve block. For them, okay. they, they had to have a dialysis port put in their arm. Mm-hmm. Well, every nerve that goes through your arm runs through a, a bundle of nerves here in your okay. armpit. So you can essentially just inject what's called a nerve block in that that makes it so that they can't feel anything. Wow. Right? So they're completely awake, completely aware, but they just can't feel that you're making incisions and pulling around on blood vessels and making all these things and you're messing with nerves and all this stuff. They just can't feel it. And it's good for them because, you know, there's a lot of complications that can happen when you're sedated and you're not taking deep breaths. You know, you can Mm -hmm. get pneumonia and there's other things that can happen. So sometimes when they, when they can be conscious, that's what they'll prefer. They'll um, prefer that Mm because just leads to better outcomes and better healing. So, Mm. Is the human body? I'm I'm assuming the human body is similar to the human mind, where they're all different. So I guess they all would react differently to certain medicines or all of that. But I mean, is there any type of? I guess you were talking about how before you can kind of tell a situation, you know, like what's going on. I mean, is the human mind kind of similar to the human body with this, where like? I guess certain patients just need certain things more than other ones. Yeah, absolutely. And the the surgeon that's actually leading our clerkship right now is trying to get research done on um, like pre-op, uh, like cognitive fitness testing, right? To like mm-hmm. make sure that they understand what's going on, why it's needed, mm-hmm. and kind of you know boosting them up and being like, you know, you're going to do well. You are going to recover well, you know, like just do these things that we're asking of you and you're going to have a better turnout. Mm. And so like mentally, yeah, like everybody's different. Some people need to hear different things and Mm -hmm. and some people will do better in the post-op period because they had, you know, certain uh, like education about what Mm -hmm. it's going to be and what it's going to be like. And and some people who who are, you know, like uh, cognitively impaired Mm -hmm. have like, you know, um, mental functioning problems typically don't do as well post-op right you know so yeah i mean the mind is also absolutely intertwined with the body and with healing Mm -hmm. and so yeah i mean it's very important to uh, and and everyone's different i mean like Mm -hmm. i said so you know whether or not they respond to certain medications has more to do with like enzyme levels and sometimes their Mm -hmm. liver or something like that Mm -hmm. um but yeah mentally and, and cognitively there's a there's a pretty big association that's being studied uh, on like post-op outcomes oh, and cool. healing yeah cool. based on their cognitive assessments and stuff so yeah definitely it's kind of one of those timeless things that doesn't need medical advice it, like you don't need a doctor to tell you this like have a good mindset be mm-hmm. confident stand mm-hmm. up straight like these things they are so old and they have such a natural effect on everything dude i started doing that but standing just, up straight yeah like it's yeah. crazy. Or just like noticing, trying to notice your posture. Yeah, and, like and it's it. insane the amount of like a confidence. At least I would get a oh, very small, like just doing that. Like, yeah. Reminding yourself like, hey, p- like almost puff your chest out. Like, yeah, totally. It, it helps. It makes you feel it makes you feel better. You don't feel like a grouch or like, a, like you're slouching around. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you feel more confident. Like there's so much, it, it, there's so much power in just like those little things you can mm-hmm. do and ways you can change the way that you think mm-hmm. you know like rather than focusing on your negatives like mm-hmm. focus on what you're good at and like mm-hmm. hype yourself up hype other people up making other people feel good about themselves makes you feel good mm-hmm. stand tall you know things like that it, it's yeah. crazy mm-hmm. like what it can actually do for you there's mm-hmm. lots of selfish reasons to do to to do things that would be maybe at a surface level considered virtuous yeah <clears throat> 
but it's actually like, no, I'm just being selfish. I'm being long-term selfish. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I think about that, like something, especially going through the job search for me, something that immensely helped is changing, like changing my, my body's state like mm-hmm. on purpose. And, and I, I, I probably had to hear this a hundred times before I really utilized it. But if I'm nervous before an interview and I'm shaky, I would go and I would do jumping jacks in the living room. Yeah. And like to the point to where I was like starting to gasp, my body would be in a different state. My blood would be pumping fast. I'd yeah. feel different. Or if I was feeling bad, depressed, you mm-hmm. know, apply to a hundred jobs and got yeah. rejected. <laughs> yeah. And it's another fucking day. And like one of the, like sometimes I would just get up and go in the living room and do <clears throat> jumping jacks as stupid as it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not. And it's right, not. And right. like after two and a half, three minutes, you know, I'm, I'm get distracted think of something think of something else and then i'll stop and i'll realize like i'm not sad anymore yeah i can't identify a solid reason on why i should pick up being sad again yeah and you kind of just see through the veil of all of that and you realize that most of the time my emotions why i'm feeling bad is maybe it's most of the time for some people it's it's different for every person but i i've noticed that like most of the time it's the state of my body uh, or like the state of my m- mindset, my yeah. framing, like what types of thoughts are going through my head. Yeah. And once again, like I would, I don't know, I guess adults tell us stuff like that, but they don't say it in such like simple terms. Like, mm. like, <clears throat> Hey, you're happy because you're, you know, like your blood's not flowing mm-hmm. and you've been inside. You yeah. need the sun and you need your blood to flow faster mm-hmm. and that'll make you yeah. happier. Like if someone would have told it's me more, that when I was It's more like, four, go outside. Get outside. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, they tell you that and you're like, no, I don't want to fucking get outside. Yeah, yeah. You know? like, There's not just, video games you just outside. You want me to get away. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's... So like the head surgeon for my clerkship, he, he literally got a group of us and like put us into a cognitive fitness um, group right that was one of the first things he Mm. talked about and i thought it was so cool he was talking about like what you're talking about you kind of get panicked your heart races your blood pressure raises what that all comes down to from an evolutionary standpoint is a Mm. perceived threat Mm -hmm. you perceive a threat and your body is telling you you're about to be eaten by a bear or whatever the fight or flight yes and and that's your body's natural like response to like a, a perceived threat you got to have increased blood flow to your muscles because you're about to have to fight for your life. Mm. You need to, your eyes dilate because you're about to have to see every fine detail. Like there's so many things that go on, but in reality, it's not a threat. You're not about to die. Mm. You don't need that stuff going on. So having an awareness of that and practicing like challenging yourself, like, okay, I feel anxious. I feel nervous. Like this feels like a threat, but I need to see how I can like basically push through this and perform and challenge myself and challenge that initial, like that, that threat that you feel like you're feeling, which you are feeling, it feels like a threat, you right? Mm-hmm. Cause you're like, it, it does matter. That's not to say it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. but physically it's not a threat. You're not about to die. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's what your body thinks. And so challenging that mentality and practicing performing under stress mm-hmm. can really help the way that you respond to future events that mm-hmm. cause stress and so i thought it was fascinating because like i had to go do an oski which i don't know what it stands for but it's a test we have to do <laughs> it's a test we have to do in our clerkships and it's basically where they take like standardized patients which are like paid actors who 
will act like they have a certain illness. Okay. Right. And so we have to go in there. They have a certain illness in, in their mind that they know that they're supposed to pretend like they have. They have all the details of all the stuff we're supposed to ask them that they know. And they want us to go in there and they want us to ask them, you know, what's your name? How old are you? What brings you in? Why does that, you know, concern you? Uh, when did it start? You know, and you got to ask all these questions. You got to get their their medical history, their family history, their social history, where they work, if they do drugs, if they smoke, if they drink. I mean, you got to get all this right. information, and you got mm-hmm. 15 minutes to do all that and a physical exam. 15 minutes. Then you got to go out in the hallway, and you've got 10 minutes to write a complete note wow. on everything that you just absorbed, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that makes up a quarter of our grade in the, in the six week clerkship. Wow. And so this guy was like, this test is important. You're going to get in there and you're going to get jittery and you're going to feel anxious, but it's not a threat. He was like, use this as an opportunity to practice. Like he was like, be a cognitive ninja, challenge your body, tell yourself mentally, this is not a threat. This is Mm -hmm. a test that I'm taking for a grade. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to die. This patient's not going to die. Everything is going to be fine. And let's just perform. Mm That's not to say I didn't do really shitty on that Oski. <laughs> but my mind, like, I was in a better place. Like, mm. like I did first get that set of like, ooh, okay, this, oh, man, this is going to be bad, you know, whatever. But, like, I challenged my mind. And so that's something that, like, definitely can help a lot of people, just mindfulness and being mm. aware of, is this really something, like, not something that you shouldn't take seriously, but is this really a threat? Is this mm. really going to affect my life in such a serious way. And then sometimes it will, you know, like you're like a job interview for a job that could potentially change your life. That is stressful. And you can't Mm -hmm. just, you can't just not be anxious. Right. But it does help to have that awareness of I am okay. Mm -hmm. Even if this goes the worst way possible, I will still be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and that just challenging your mind and reframing your thought process. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of value in it. Yeah. Yeah. And most of uh, like all of that echoes something for me that I've really, felt strongly lately that most of happiness or most of like most of the way to happiness, whatever that is, which everyone disagrees and has their own ideas. (laughs) Yeah. But most of that, that what we're looking for is actually less pain. Like the, the 20% you can do that makes up for the 80% of like a happy, well-maintained person is just take away negatives, Mm -hmm. reduce negatives and doing something like, like purposeful, uh, gradual exposure to pain and suffering and stress is a way that you can just make things less stressful for the yeah. rest of your life. And it's the same thing with like meditating, which is something uh, mindfulness meditation, which is something that I'm specifically into is like you, uh, it teaches you how to frame or how to take a step back or have a meta look at yeah. your own emotions and feel them just in a particular way that's detached from the story that you're telling yourself. This gives you the insight that like, wow, most of the pain of suffering or the suffering in pain is actually in the story I'm telling myself, the narrative, yeah, the mindset. And for me, like putting that into practice, I mean, when I, <laughs> when I recently, uh, you know, last week jumped over a creek and oh, yeah, I didn't know if you wanted and, to bring that up. I wasn't going to bring it up. I mean, you, you know, did. it's it's whatever. It's <laughs> it's what I'm uh, dealing with right now. But hang, hanging out, it's pretty sick jump though. Yeah, you know, it, well, it's actually funny now. Um, 
If it's not the most Oklahoma sounding thing, that like, oh, how'd you hurt your knee? Yeah. Like, oh, I was at my friend's farm in some knee high mud boots and I jumped over a creek. Jumped over the creek. Yeah, yeah. jumped over the creek. Chasing but, a crawdad. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's what happened. You know, I, uh, I did. And as soon as I landed, you know, pop, twist, I fell to the ground, instant, just terrible pain. And I instantly broke out into a sweat. And. I don't know, like, I, I just, <clears throat> I felt my meditation practice in that moment. Because, like, there was an initial rise of, like, panic mm, yeah. mm-hmm. and just primal fear. And then I was like, wait, I, I, don't, I don't even know what it was. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be fine. Everything's okay. Yeah. Like, I still thought something might be wrong. Right. But it was more just like, I'm okay. I can be, det- <clears throat> a part of me can be detached from this. Like, mm-hmm. I, this is now happening. I know I can accept this. Just have to take it moment by moment. Yep. And just... I really felt that come into play. And um, and then most of the suffering that I felt of this injury has been the the moments that I was panicking later mm-hmm. in the day yeah. or, or the, the next day when like it hurt a little bit and I was uncertain and I was like scared and mm-hmm. remembering what happened or whatever. Like that that's most, that was, that's actually most of the pain. And mm-hmm. so that's just a, a huge point of signal for me that yeah. I've tuned into lately. I kind of like reading and listening to like Navy SEALs talk about that concept too of like just putting yourself in a situation that is completely painful but like mentally knowing how to keep that heart rate down and like breathing practices and yeah going to a meditative state when things get elevated to keep you just focused on what you're doing. Yeah, talk about cognitive fitness. You're going to see it in those guys and ladies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, like, this is why it, it really distresses me a lot of the advice or perspectives or a mindset or lingo that's going around about just how we are ever more encouraged to focus on our disadvantages mm-hmm. and, like, focus on where we are oppressed or where we are victimized or anything like that. And I know this is, like, a, a whatever, a hot take that, mm-hmm. that people express and maybe people don't want to hear it, but like, I, I really, I think it's just blaringly obvious that for many individuals and especially young k- kids in mm-hmm. school, that this is being pointed out and that it, it makes you suffer more. Mm. <laughs> like, that's all it really does. Like, you're training people to suffer more because mm-hmm. you're training them to develop and focus on the narratives around the pain and negatives and disadvantages in their life. Mm. And that is exactly a recipe to have someone suffer, no matter what position they're in or what mm. benefits they have in life. You know, um, ver- and and I think that stands in opposition to gratitude and humility, mm-hmm. which are just classic virtues that I, I think are selfish. Mm-hmm. I think that you should selfishly have those because it reduces your suffering mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. makes you enjoy yeah. the things that you have more. It yeah. could put you in a position to help other people not suffer as much either. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of times when you're hurting people, you're acting out of like, yeah, a short-term selfishness right. or a reaction right. yeah, yeah. to something. And um, be better to be long-term selfish and help them. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting way to think. About I, I, yeah, I'm gonna, I need to coin that phrase now. Long-term <laughs> yeah. selfish. I'm sure someone else has done it, but uh, uh, it's huge, huge sidetrack there. But I mean, you know, minds like mindset and your state of mind, like. It has everything to do with your body and your health. And um, 
you know, this actually brings brings me back to something I think about a lot. Like you're talking about these patients that come in and out yeah, kind of on rotation. Like what percentage of the patients you see do you feel like kind of fall into this category? I mean, honestly, a lot of them. Um, like it, 50%? It, like it, it depends on the service you're on. So with surgery, oh, for the most true. part, you know, you someone comes in and they've got like their gallbladder and it mm-hmm. needs to be removed. I mean, they're not going to... Okay, it's not impossible, but they're not going to come back likely with gallbladder problems. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those are people who are in their 30s who otherwise are healthy mm-hmm. and they just need a quick fix, right? They yeah. just get in there, give them the surgery, and they're good to go. Um, but like when I was on neuro, so that that neurology, that one, you see some of the sickest patients. Mm-hmm. You'll see people who have like degenerative nerve disease. Right. Like, yeah, that's Those are the type of people like that's the service you would see people with like ALS, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, or you see people with like super severe like there's something called like huntington's disease and it's just where people just slowly lose their mind and they lose their ability to function and uh, you'll see people who are paralyzed from a gunshot wound and Mm -hmm. you know like so those types of people yeah i mean they'll 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 have some kind of issue with their brain they'll have some kind of stroke they can't protect their airway right Mm -hmm. so they are eating food and they aspirate a little bit of food and then they get pneumonia and they're going to come in and they're going to need to be fixed and you're going to fix it. You're going to give them medication. Their lungs are going to get better. And you're going to send them home and then inevitably it's going to happen again. Hmm. Um, so on surgery, I would say you're not going to see a lot of frequent flyers there because a lot hmm. of the times they're there for an acute issue that you can just fix, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, but like on internal medicine, you'll see patients, you know, you'll, you'll say, you know, I've got this patient so-and-so just came in. And the residents would be like, oh, yeah, we know them. Mm. You know, they're, they're a frequent flyer. That's what they call them. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're yeah. just, they come in, you know, your, your heart starts failing, right? You can't pump blood efficiently throughout the body. Fluid mm-hmm. leaks out of your blood vessels, builds up in your legs. It builds up in your lungs. Mm-hmm. The only treatment really is, <laughs> besides having a better heart, is giving them, um, you know, what's called diuretics. And a lot of people call them water pills. Mm. Basically just resorbs all that fluid. And you pee it out, right? Mm-hmm. But but you have to have a prescription or at least see a doctor for it. But a lot of times people come in because they can't breathe. So, mm-hmm. you know, give them Lasix, which is what the the term for that water pill is. They pee it off. They can breathe better and you send them home. But they're, you know they're, it's going to happen again. But their heart's still bad and mm-hmm. it's just going to happen again, right? Yeah. So you see a lot of that. Um, sometimes you'll see people who on, on internal medicine... Uh, which is ultimately the field that I'll probably be going into, that or radiology. Mm-hmm. Um, but on internal medicine, you know, someone will be post-op day three. The surgery team doesn't need to keep seeing them, so they'll admit them to the medicine team just to make sure they don't have any, like, issues with, you know, any of their recovery or, or anything like that or mm-hmm. any of their other issues they've been diagnosed with. And then, you know, you see them, you send them home, and you may never see them again. Um, but it's, yeah, it's it's all too frequent, you know, how often you will see people come in and out. I mean, I was only on internal medicine for six weeks and there was one patient that in within those six weeks I had seen come back to the hospital three times. Mm. So that's essentially mm. every two weeks. Yeah. Not to yeah. mention that when they do come back, they spend a good two or three, four days in the hospital and then are discharged and are back wow. you know, within that same two week yeah. frame. What a and life. so it's like, man, they just, yeah. And it's like, not a lot you can do. Right. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. As a medical professional, it's just your job to make sure that they suffer mm-hmm. the least as possible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, you want to, like, help them out as much as you can. But at, at some point, there's... 
nothing you can do but just basically essentially prolong the inevitable mm-hmm. um but yeah you'll see a lot of frequent flyers for sure wow that's why people who like who do like want to go into dermatology which is like the skin mm-hmm. you know a lot of people want to do that because mm-hmm. you can help people in a really meaningful way but you're also not dealing with the sickest of the sick yeah, you know you're recurring. someone yeah like someone's yeah. got psoriasis and you're like, hey, I've got the treatment for that. Mm. And it, like people who have like skin diseases, they wear their their disease on their sleeve right, every right. day. Everyone sees them, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can offer them the option and the treatment plan that like gives them all their confidence back, right? And they're super That's, stoked, I bet. Too. Exactly. Like it's and a they're like, experience. you gave me my life back, right, you know. Right. And so that that gratitude and that reward, and very very rarely is there. Um, complications, complications or, that are serious. You know, yeah. I mean, there, there are there are issues that can happen with the, with the skin. I'm not saying that dermatologists live a risk free life, mm-hmm. um, but the rewards are so big and the risks are relatively small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, as opposed to having to work in like with cancer patients. Or exactly. Something like, yeah, where like with, the wins can be big, but the losses can be huge. Right. You know. Right. You've really invested in someone, and you've done your best to promise them that you can make them better and then mm-hmm. you know sometimes you just lose yeah it's you know that's rough mm-hmm. but yeah i love the questions insane. though whatever questions you guys have i'm like i'm an open book and i'm not offended by any questions so i mean anything no, you've I'm ever been curious about i'm happy to answer what i'm we would love to have you back on too to just oh yeah at, like in the future when you have the time and maybe even that. after you get done with schooling yeah too. for sure like, yeah oh this has been perfect i mean you t- you texted me whatever a few months ago and we're yeah. like hey I'm gonna be off after my surgery rotation yeah. for a few weeks mm-hmm. and we like consistent you know of course we hung out all the time throughout high school and kind of maybe early in the college years but basically since you've started college yeah we've seen each other like once a year yeah or twice at least a year. yeah at least but it's cool because we always I don't know get back together and it's like no time has passed and that's uh I don't know those are those are some of the best friendships and like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the type of people I want to keep around and keep in touch with for when sure I, when I move, which we're not yeah. talking about yet. <laughs> but uh, good friends are hard to come by. Like oh, it's yeah. so true. Yeah. Like good friends that you could just like, you know, you'll be friends forever. Like I, we could, this could be the last time we see each other until we're forty. And I feel like when we saw each other at forty, it'd just be like, dude, like what's up? <laughs> yeah. Like you have those friendships, you know, where it's just like. You'll always be friends, and so mm-hmm. it's hard to, and it's so hard to come by those as you yeah. get older. Adulthood yeah. just really rips away that spontaneous mm-hmm. spark that you have when you're in high school and your mm-hmm. ability, and your free time. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's crazy. I like I've especially the last two years, and and I think COVID accelerated this in your mid twenties age, and this is almost <clears throat> the air about the show is kind of just like how you seem to be really stripped of a lot of, yeah. of your youthful vigor and your friendships and the excitement in your friendships. And, you know, actually something I want to talk about like soon is like adult friendships. And like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. cause that's a weird, cause you even say that and like it, people think you said like panties or something like, like it just hits people wrong. They're like, what? You're not, what do you That's mean? That's like the most, that was the perfect like comparison I think I've heard in a long time. No. Yeah, exactly. It's just like one of those, like, don't it made me feel weird. For don't a say that. And it shouldn't, but yeah, there's something weird about the word panty. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it's just like biting a napkin. But, uh, um, 
God, I lost my goddamn train of thought. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it's just life just tr- strips you. I, well, I don't think it's life. I think it's uh, a lot of the institutions around mm-hmm. us and conspiracies and all that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like you you lose so much. You have you lose like 80% of your friends. The friends that you have, like they're suffering. Like people are just like, it's looking bleak. When I look at like the fi- the 500 or 250 people, however many it was that I would interact with and were acquaintances with like in high school mm-hmm. and like early 20s, like of that people, you like, you scan, you do a survey of that group and it's looking bleak. It's a, right. it's a cemetery. It's, you know, like people, people have gone out into the world and really they've either suffered a lot, a few make it through into something like, Oh, I didn't expect that. And then a lot of them are just like, Oh, so you really, you really been stuck in whatever kind of, I don't know, place or vice or everyone, you know, lifestyle. Everyone eventually just becomes the general public. That's like how it, that's how a good it, way to put it, that. Yeah. yeah. Like you just like yeah. slowly morph into the general public. Yeah. To other people. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and years ago you were something to someone and then it's just, yeah, it's just kind of, you're just happens. another friend suggestion on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, exactly. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know, part of me, I'm, I'm always trying to rebel against things. And that's a, f- that's a force I've really felt. And I've kind of had to lean into it to, uh, I don't know, learn how to program or like do some of what I've done the past few years. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm starting to have crazy ideas and try and think of ways to, uh, not fall in that category, like have deeper interactions with my friends, be intentional about like the friendships I want to maintain, but also meeting new people mm-hmm. uh, and like having starting new friendships in adulthood, which is like a strange thing that no one talks about. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I think Caleb, you're, you're just an interesting example. You know, like you can have people that you see every week almost or every two weeks and you'll have like be really, shallow with each other you'll yeah. realize that like we're not going to be friends in a few years mm-hmm. yeah but then you can have other people you, you know you see once a year and mm-hmm. you just know that like there's a mutual assurance there and understanding mm-hmm. that you're both like yeah I, I i see you as who you are and i really appreciate yeah. you yeah. out of the world and want to keep you in contact mm-hmm. that's and that's cool and like there's a lot of people worthy of that but what you're just served up from life from yeah. where you're born is like a lot of bad apples come along with it mm-hmm. and contributes to a lot of people's suffering. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of what crazy medical questions I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> I remember like, before I went to medical school, I was like, I've always been curious about this. Like what, even if it's like, what is life like? Or, you know, well, what's the craziest or grossest thing you've seen or whatever, you know, like there's just times where you just like, you get an itching, but you're like, oh, I don't know if it would be weird to ask that. Mm. I'm a pretty open book. So, mm-hmm. I mean, is there, is there something that you've been like, okay, that's the grossest thing I've ever seen? <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like the story, <laughs> one of the stories you already told. Oh, yeah, yeah that's be, that's true. That Another really gross one, though. I definitely uh, I was working in the ER. That was one of my rotations. Which cool, that's a cool place to be at the peak of COVID. Um, but I was there, and some dude, like a homeless man, came in off the street, and he was like, "I've got this pain in my butthole," and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> 
I guess I can take a look at that for you. <laughs> <laughs> and you just look around. You look around. You're like, there's yeah. no one else. You're like, all right. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I don't know where the I doctors guess, are. I, I was like, I'm me. a medical student, so you know, <laughs> yeah. take that with a grain of salt. Right. So he just like drops his trousers, and I was like, spread them cheeks, boy. He did. There was just this giant bulge right next to the anus. Mm. And I was like, that's an abscess. So it was a perianal abscess. And so I was like, I need to go get the doctor and we'll come back and we'll see what we can do about Don't this. Don't move around too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um... <laughs> Don't do any TikTok dances while I'm gone. For sure. For sure. <laughs> so we go and we get the guy. We get the, the, the attending, the ER doc. And so basically what he had me do is put on these very thin nitrile gloves and just spread this dude's butt cheeks aside with my own hand. Dang. And he had to take a scalpel and just lance the abscess and drain it. Ooh. And when I tell you, like, the smell. <laughs> so, like, the same bacteria that caused the abscess is the same bacteria mm. that caused poop to stink, mm. right? But these have just been marinating in this oh. abscess for months. Like, abscesses don't just come overnight. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. This one's just been here for a while and it's just gotten bigger. So he just lances it, and then just just like this gray brown chunky pus just comes like oozing out, <laughs> and it's like getting on my finger, but I have gloves on, right? And I'm just like, oh, this is nasty. Like, and the smell, <laughs> like it took everything not to gag. Like it was the worst smell I've ever smelled. Oh easily. my gosh! And uh, so we're doing it. We're letting it drain. He's putting pressure on it. And it's like chunks are coming out. And it's just like the other. So I'm just like with my other hand, I had to get gauze and just wipe this pus off this homeless dude's butthole. And <laughs> and I was like, that is so like, but you have to be professional. You right, can't be like, right. Well, this is really gross. Like, yeah. And like, yeah, like the patient's yeah. right there be, and they can hear you. That would be crazy. Yeah. If the medical feel like in a, in a <laughs> other universe that everyone in the hospital is just like, Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's just like real as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> everyone just like pokes their head out through him. Guys, get a load of this guy's right. ass. <laughs> you know? So, um, so I'm like trying to maintain like professionalism and everything. And so I'm going through all of it or whatever. So it's all done. We wipe it up, everything, put some like liquid bondage over it. Cause you're not going to like, it was a small incision. It mm -hmm. didn't need stitches. It just needed a place to come out. So put like a little bit of uh, what they call derma bond on it just to mm -hmm. kind of close it up and keep it. It's basically glue. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's all done. And then I go to like take my gloves off and there was a hole <laughs> in my gloves. So I just, I was just. Sitting there just spreading this homeless dude's butt cheeks Thinking, away. Hey, good thing. I At least on. I've got gloves on. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, I'm making skin to skin contact with this dude's b-hole. And so <laughs> I definitely went and like scrubbed my hands. At first I checked, I was like, do I have any cuts on my hand? Because like, yeah, you never know. Yeah. You never know what people yep. have. This guy was a, he was a really nice guy. Like he just had a problem. I don't mm -hmm. judge him. Right. Right. I have no idea what types of hardships he's gone through. So I don't judge him. It's not his fault that this happened to him. Right. Um, but within a population that's medically underserved, like homeless people, mm -hmm. you know, you can, there's a lot of hepatitis. There's a lot mm -hmm. of HIV. There's a lot of like, you know, it can be even tuberculosis, things like that. So of course all those things are going through my head and I'm like, yeah. do I have any cuts on my fingers and everything? And so I just went and just, like scrubbed my hands for like that would keep me up yeah that would keep me up for a while well i learned this from i learned this from the restaurant business okay double you can double glove up okay i highly suggest it when you have to clean out the grease trap you know throw on an extra pair of gloves 
I don't know. That seems like an equivalent yeah. uh, dirty task. Yeah. But... I think the only other question I have, which is a minor <laughs> one, is are, are all of our organs and stuff the same color? Or do that's people... A good, that's a good question. That people, is a good do question. Do people have, like, different colors? Like, aren't, aren't, aren't they just kind of, like, gray and maybe purplish? Okay, okay, also, but wait, is fat yellow or white? Fat is yellow. Mm-hmm. Okay. If fat is white, it has lost blood supply and it's going to rot away. And they got to scrape it off. Mm-hmm. And then right? I'll have to oh, cut okay. it out. You'll have to have there some third-year medical student go around slicing and dicing <laughs> in your... In your wounds. Uh, but that is actually a great question. So different organs are, they typically hover within the same color range. So like your intestines are pink, right? Mm. If they're inflamed, they'll be extra red, like red right? They'll yeah. be more like a reddish pink. Mm. Um, if you have like, some people can have like stenosis, which is like a narrowing of the blood vessels that go to the the uh, intestines. If those, and they're not getting proper guts, blood supply they'll get a little more pale so you'll see kind of like a whitish light pink type thing um so so kind of it kind of depends on the blood flow maybe depends on the blood flow and like the organ so like the liver is probably the one you would get like the most variation in Mm. someone who's got like fatty liver disease their liver is going to look a lot more like kind of kind of pale kind of yellowish not Mm. so much that pinkish and Mm. somewhat greenish that you'll see Mm -hmm. um but then people who have like really bad fibrosis of their liver, they'll get like, they'll get like this connective tissue overgrowth of their liver and it'll almost look shiny. Wow. Which is weird. Yeah. And then huh. same, same with the gallbladder. So like the gallbladder, you can always tell, like you go in through like laparoscopically and you, you're looking with the camera and it's like, it is not hard to find the gallbladder because the gallbladder is almost blue. Hmm. It's like this bluish gray hue that looks like it has like a silver lining around it. And it's just like usually this tense thing. Cause typically if you're going to, see the gallbladder you're going to be there to remove it because it's dilated and it's needs to be cut out okay um so yeah sometimes you'll see like perfectly healthy looking gallbladders which is these little green looking pouches sometimes they look silver and blue and swollen and all these problems and then sometimes they look red because they've got so much inflammation so Mm. it really just it does depend a lot but like if right now in a healthy state if you were to look at my liver your liver and austin's liver Mm -hmm. like all together they would probably be about the same color gotcha yeah interesting yeah Damn. Okay. Um, I actually have big, big. I, I love asking like the dumbest, dumbest questions. Let's hear it. Uh, I'm 26, mm-hmm. mostly healthy except for my knee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, what is, what is just like the dumb, idiot thing I should just do to avoid the most possibility for like midlife medical problem or just like any kind of medical problems is it just like avoiding heart disease i mean people say heart disease is the yeah. biggest killer or like diabetes is mm-hmm. it is it heart disease yeah heart disease is like the number one killer it's just the dumb the just world. like hey just check this box at least mm-hmm. yeah so like the thing that really can make that makes the difference you can tell the difference in people who are going to do well and live long and people who aren't just mm-hmm. from looking at them and listening to like what their lifestyle looks like so people who just regularly exercise and that doesn't mean like strenuous Mm -hmm. two hours of cardio it's a total of like 150 minutes of cardio a week and even then that's like that can count like mowing your yard that Mm -hmm. counts that Mm -hmm. counts as yeah so that's like half an hour yeah half an hour every day on the weekdays yes if you don't even do anything half an hour a day five days a week of just walk around your block get Mm -hmm. up and move do something 
because the people who get heart failure, some people it's genetic, some mm-hmm. people it's drug abuse, it's alcohol abuse. But you can't help. Well, I guess the there's always like the genetic. There's always random chance yeah. the metaphorical bus coming your way. Yes, like that's stuff you can't pr- protect against. But then right. there's other stuff where you can just be like, oh, I can just put the chips or the chips in, on my side, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and mindfulness, like people who are just thinking about their health. And making better decisions, just being like, oh, you know, maybe I don't need a large fry. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll just do a small and maybe I'll do a single burger instead of a triple or Mm -hmm. little little things like that. Just being mindful and trying to exercise. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are going to be those people who've smoked two packs a day since they were 12 and are now in their 80s. And they're going to live to be 110, right? Mm -hmm. That's just some people just win the genetic lottery. My grandpa dipped since he was like 10 and like lived to be like 90, 96. And the thing that killed him was a broken hip. There you go. Falling out of a truck. Like yeah, that that was the thing that got him. It yeah, was wild. Just good genetics. The you day know that's, that he yeah. died was like putting dips in his lip. <laughs> <laughs> just no dental, well, not no dental problem, but he Few didn't. He didn't develop yeah. cancer or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, which was crazy. Yeah. So I mean, like, yeah, for so, but but like, just people who, uh, just get up and move. Be mindful of what you're eating, and those two things are going to be like the biggest thing. And go to mm-hmm. the doctor if you're feeling sick. Mm-hmm. If something weird's going on, if you get like a bulge on your neck, right. You know what I mean? Like, don't just mm-hmm. be like, oh, we'll just see what happens. Or a like, tummy ache that doesn't go away. Yeah, or like, yeah, if yeah, you just got like this gnawing pain in your stomach that you've been feeling for a few weeks, like, just go get it checked out. Like, yeah. the best, worst case scenario, you find out it's benign. I mean, that's not the worst case scenario, but like, for a lot of people, the most common thing would be that you'll just find out it was benign and you just wasted a little bit of time and a little bit of money, mm-hmm. given that you have insurance. Right. Um, but then, you know, sometimes you can catch cancer at a, at an early stage and mm-hmm. the only thing you got to do is cut it out. Yeah. And nip you're it good. in the bud. Yeah. And, nip yeah. it in the bud and then it's not going to be a problem. It's not going to be this thing. Cause like I, I saw someone who, as a matter of fact, I told you guys about like the, the woman I had, we did the colostomy on, you know, she had breast cancer, kidney cancer and colon cancer. And it Whoa. had essentially just spread all over her body. Like you could put your hand on her abdomen and just push down and feel tumors. Ooh. And so it was like, there's nothing you can do. But if you could have <laughs> caught that sooner, you know, at an earlier mm. stage before it had metastasized all over her body, you know, then in those cases you're good. So it's just being mindful, mm. do some exercise. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and talking about, and of course that is, that's exactly the advice I knew I would hear, but yeah. it was like, I wanted to hear how you would frame it and just, I don't know, kind of how simple of an idea it is. Yeah. Uh, but now touching my body for lumps. <laughs> <laughs> there will be some lumps. Some lumps are normal. Yeah, that's yeah, true. yeah, right. There's right. always going to be something. Right. Um, something with like mind mindfulness or just thinking about your health, considering yeah. your health. I've I've thought that maybe I'm not this way. Okay, you know how when you maybe you think a certain way and maybe it's rare, uh, and then you find out that everyone else on average yeah. it's a lot differently or like people say like oh people's biggest fear is public speaking yeah and for me i've always been cool with speaking in front right. of people so it's like when i hear that i'm like oh okay that's that's strange but something for me like i've always thought about my health i've always thought about my body uh and not that i've had the best habits like i've tried a lot of different things tried experiments but i don't know i've just always had a kind of mindfulness for it but it seems like a lot of people like that's such a triggering thing for them. Like they almost like out of in pursuit of their own psychological health, they disconnect their relationship with their body. 
mm-hmm. and their health. Do you feel like this is an attribute you see a lot in people or like that people are scared to think about it or talk about it that they don't want to? Yeah, that's that's a huge problem. And I've even seen it in myself, you know, like I've like seen a, it in myself for sure. Yeah, like I've like I had high blood pressure and I knew it. It runs in my family. Mm. But part of me was like, well, you know, I don't want to go to the doctor to get it worked up because it's probably going to be due to, you know, some disease I have and I'm going to have all this stuff. But if I don't go get it checked out, you know, then I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and this ignorance is bliss. And that's what a lot that's how a lot of people feel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's you'd rather not know, you know, there's a little problem, but is it going to be due to a big problem or is it just going to be a little problem? Right. And some people just don't want to know. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely that. It's kind of you see it a lot in like the old tough guys, mm-hmm. you know, that it's like yeah. that we had a guy who came in, he had what's called pancytopenia and it's where every blood cell line is low and it's almost always due to like a bone cancer. Wow. And he was just like, Oh, I'm fine. And we were like, sir, you are not fine. It's <laughs> like right now you, you don't have any red blood cells to bleed, but if you did bleed, you don't have the platelets to stop it. Wow. And if you know, it's like you would bleed to death or you have no white blood cells. So you'll get an infection Jeez. Something our bodies are constantly fighting off at all times is just gonna ravage you and just take you. Well, and yeah. it sucks that all that dude needs to hear or needed to hear maybe twenty or thirty years ago is, "Hey, it's okay. You need to tell people about yeah. like if something's hurting." Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, people. That's yeah, what's sad about it. Some people have like stomach cancer and they'll just have this like burning, gnawing pain in their stomach that they've had for years. Mm. And, you know, it's just like they just you don't want to know because you're afraid of what it might be. Yeah. So, yeah, like there's a lot of people who like neglect their own health. I, I went to the doctor and I was like, you know what? I've got high blood pressure, whatever. Runs mm-hmm. in my family. And they were like, well, what does your dad take? And I was like, oh, he takes this. Does it work for him? Yeah. OK, here's some for you. That's it. You know, like mm-hmm. it's a lot of the times, you know, it's not as scary as you think it would be. But, yeah, a lot of people definitely like they'll like neglect their own health and everything. So. Mm-hmm. I think with me, it was never I felt something wrong. It was like not eating right. Yeah. And smoking. More just like the general long term. You're like, I know this can't last. Right. And there was always the thought in the back of my head where I'm like, I know what this is doing, but like, I'm still going to do it. And literally all it took was just one day making the, just a conscious decision. Like, Hey, I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop eating as much crap. I'm going to run. Yeah. Like that's, it sucks. Easily the best decision you can make because There's always like, there's like two things that inevitably make everything worse. Like as we learn through every disease process in medicine, it's just like, you know, someone's got kidney disease. The things, two things that make it worse are diabetes and smoking. Like Mm -hmm. anything, anytime Mm -hmm. they're like, you know, they'll give you a, you'll be doing like a board question and it'll be like, so-and-so has pancreatitis and blah, 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 and this and that. And what's one of the one lifestyle modifications that they could make to improve their chances of surviving and it's like if if smoking cessation or better blood sugar control are the answers it's like if it's on the options Ooh. that's always the answer mm-hmm. yeah like smoking makes everything worse diabetes makes everything worse mm-hmm. those are just the two things and those are two things that are like ravaged like they just go through oklahoma oh yeah i mean diabetes and smoking in oklahoma is just like Dude, they come wild. in the same basket yeah like, the most common thing i hear is after a really big meal like man i need a cigarette after that. yeah it's like yeah it, it's just like in this and that, that was me yeah. at one point where you're just like your brain tricks you into yeah. being like man i really need this yeah. cigarette 
Like, so and so comes to the hospital, and it's like, oh, what, what's their past medical history? Type two diabetes and COPD because they mm-hmm. smoke and are diabetic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, yep. I can tell them charm. don't do that anymore, and they'll right. be like, uh huh. Can't you just give me a pill? And right? It's like, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah, this is the hard part where you actually have to do something to change your life. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, it's doing the the switch, like going from years of take not taking care of my body to then taking care of it yeah. the past three three months i would say it's like it, the weight gets uh smaller but mm-hmm. at the beginning of it running with just all that like crap in my lungs and in my tummy and like yeah. on my body like mm-hmm. that that was the worst part was the first like two or three weeks of just, yeah like, not always oh, is yeah reversing it mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. it just gets easier from there habits are hard to break mm-hmm yeah, one one thing that's been truly imprinted on me forever from my experience, funny enough, being a delivery boy mm-hmm. for like five years, <clears throat> is the cost of inaction. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah. like maybe that sounds weird or crazy, but it's just I would see these people over these these just you see hundreds and hundreds of people over and over again, and I'm going into two different hospitals. Sometimes you deliver people to their apartments. You deliver to them in the hospital or you see them in the hospital and you just see people that live these lives where you can tell they're truly stuck and drowning and attached to their vices to the point to where their bodies are rotting away in a painful, disgusting manner and they still uh, can't get themselves to do anything about it. And it's just I saw so many different examples of this and the amount of suffering it brings and like... And just over and over again, and I don't know why, like lots, lots of other people saw the stuff I saw, but didn't necessarily get the same message. But like, that's what was really imprinted on me is like, how many people seem to fall through the cracks Mm -hmm. and really, and it's not just that they fall through the cracks and like, oh, okay, well maybe they won't amount to anything, but they're going to do what they like and enjoy their life. But it's like, no, the cost of inaction, like it compounds and it goes from like, oh, maybe they won't have opportunities to it compounds to like you're in physical pain, you're suffering, you're going to the hospital, you know, three times in six weeks and those bills are racking up and there's no one in your family that can pay for it and you can't pay for it. And yeah. like all the, and you just see so many examples of these and it's just, it's a, I don't know, a weird, dark reminder and motivator for me that like, okay, my actions have real consequences. Like, uh, nature will devour me. <laughs> like as soon as it gets it, a yeah. chance, mm-hmm. like it will eat me alive yeah. and, or modern life or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, that's a t- good mindset to have. That's what will set you apart from everyone else. Just mm-hmm. thinking that way and just mm-hmm. not allowing yourself to fall victim to that. Totally. Well, I hope so. If I if I, if I keep on jumping over creeks, though, I might. <laughs> yeah, you have to. I might just like undo all that work. Yeah. Did you have that mindset when you jumped? Over? I don't think you had that mindset when you. Jumped you know, over and the it's creek. Cre- you. I sound like such an idiot. <laughs> but I was just I was thinking about the dis. If I could make it distance wise, I wasn't thinking about the height. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's where you that's where you fuck mm-hmm. up. But yeah, uh, well, you can't way. be a stunt man. But at least you'll be a great great uh, software. 
developer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad that my le- my bone wasn't sticking out of my leg. And yeah. I'm going to be able to walk that, again. I was kind of happy about that, too. I was waiting <laughs> for you to pull your pants up. And just see, like... Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, uh, yeah. It was all... You see those videos on the internet, and yeah. it's like, I was almost one of those dudes. <laughs> yeah. who just, their, their knee just, like, pops out of place, and their leg just goes sideways. Like, I was you almost You were probably, like, dude. two or three feet... Like if you're if it was two or three feet higher, yeah, probably about yeah. a couple. It's a lot of, feet of acceleration away. to happen in two or three feet. Or yeah. maybe yeah. if I had smoked, maybe both <laughs> yeah. my yeah. legs yeah. would yeah, just true. both if you were of diabetic, them folded. Your knees would have just went behind you, <laughs> and just hit your face on the ground with your feet on the ground as well. Yeah, yeah. broke my teeth. <laughs> you would have flamingoed that itch. <laughs> nice. I did see a TikTok about that. A guy was on a wrestling ring and he jumps oh. off the ropes. Oh, I when saw he lands, that. No, his I... knees go backwards oh. entirely. <laughs> dude i that's exactly the type of video i'm talking about or <laughs> yeah. y'all ever watch scarred uh, or was it scarred yes on, on, on MTV? mtv mtv yeah yes like seeing someone's ankle pop yeah. like just pop out of like or like haul of meat on instagram the skaters they, oh like, yeah it's just an account oh, that that's that for is? like Ooh. accidents that happen while skating and it is nine times out of a ten a bone flying yeah. out of place on the leg like either the See, knee the ankle the one that gets me though is the head trauma. Ooh. Like people who aren't wearing a ma- or a mask. Oh jeez. Here we are. <laughs> Wear a mask when you skate. <laughs> You're endangering the, the Yeah, but people who aren't wearing a helmet and they just like fall backwards and oh, their head yeah. just, you know, slams oh, yeah. on the ground. Yep. Just because flops it's like backwards. bones will heal. Right. But your brain can only take so much. Because you're just damage. imagining in the skull, like yeah. your brain just like kaploosh yeah. against the back yeah. of your skull. Because like. your brain is moving just as fast as your entire head and it's stopping just as quickly as well. Yeah. So I like, often think about football, like playing football, yeah. like in high school, in, in junior high school. Like, yeah. I wonder if that like has any effect though on like high schoolers. And yeah. I mean, I, what, what is C- CTE or something mm-hmm. like yeah. that? Is that, is that, yeah. That what it's yeah. Called? It's a chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Okay. That's what happens. As you get recurrent encephalopathy, as you get <laughs> recurrent like concussions and stuff, it changes mm. the architecture of your brain. Wow! And it basically it's crazy. Most it gives you a warrior's brain, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, just but like then, a primal, like basically stone slinging yeah. warrior's brain. That or someone mm. with Alzheimer's, because mm. the <laughs> proteins that build up. Inside the brain with CTE is the same proteins that can build up in Alzheimer's. Wow. So people basically get like super, super, super early onset Alzheimer's and get really depressed. And that's when you see those like NFL players that are killing themselves. Yeah. You know, like suicide and uh, just, I mean, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's really crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's scary. I've thought about it too with my son. I'm like, if he's like passionate about football, I'll consider right. it. Right. Well, I'm not going to be pushing football on my son. Yeah. Not at all. My wife, the school she went to, the high school, there was one of the players there and he got a concussion and then was cleared to play again. And he went to go tackle the quarterback and just fell back and just hit his head a little bit. It wasn't super hard, not as hard as the first time. And his his brain just swelled up and he died. Like cerebral edema, just boom, and he's gone. And so, yeah. Jeez. For me, when I see like head trauma, I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. that's so bad. Like that is so bad. Yeah, I'd much. I would rather have a horribly deformed leg and have to get right. it, yeah, or like than, a broken arm or yeah. something, than having some head. Yeah, tra- that head trauma head is no trauma. joke. Yeah, that's the stuff that I'm like now knowing what I know. I'm like, oh, 
Uh, I can't watch that stuff. Yeah, I bet. I can handle the gore, but man, head trauma is just it's a whole nother it's a whole nother ball game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I didn't land on my head then. Yeah, me too. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. At least it was your knee. Like some people, <laughs> yeah. like for real. Honestly, like their I neck or their head or whatever. I think I might have that warrior caveman brain you're talking about because I'm just like <laughs> I'm afraid. Lift I heavy rock. <laughs> lift heavy rock. Lift Stand rock. in sun. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Me jump like, creek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was funny. Like when we were when we were limping away, I had this like primal fear of like yeah. <laughs> <We>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry uh, <laughs> everyone else was fine they, yeah. they just crossed the creek they didn't jump <laughs> in but we were limping away and I just had this like primal fear of like like ancient hunter gatherer oh, yeah, of like yeah. they're gonna like my, I broke my leg. Now I'm useless to them. Like, there's not enough food for me. They're gonna kill me. Like, they're gonna pity kill me or exile me, and I'm gonna get eat eaten you. by That's a wolf. Gonna, gonna get in the car and drive off without you. Yeah, you weren't fast like, enough to get there. Man. They're yeah. like, can you? Hey, if you can make it to the car, you're still in the tribe. If not, well, sorry. You know. Sleep with the cows, buddy. Yeah. Sucks to sucks. But uh, quite oh. quite a rip. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, Caleb. Yeah, this yeah. Is, thank this you been for fun. giving us your time today. Seriously, thank you guys. I think for you uh, you are now officially the longest episode we've had. Hell yeah, so that's pretty soon about it. Really? Yeah. Nice. Hey, if you, you got to be... if you got to edit it down, you can edit no, out some no of the gold, way. but do not edit out Club Albi. Oh, oh yeah, no. Of course, not. we're gonna go. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna go to Club Albi. A L B E E. Party it up. Party it up. Join us on Facebook. Uh, Club Alby, we know that you're having a rough time right now. Yep. Like you need a podcast. You need to have more presence mm-hmm. in the digital space. So hit us up. Sponsor these fine gentlemen. All right. Oh, yeah. Thanks, y'all. Later. Thanks. Thanks.